Welcome to As the Wheel of Time Turns, where we unravel the weavings of Amazon's Wheel of Time. I am Nirinai Bliss. I'm joined by some of my uh, chosen compatriots. Uh, Brie, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Sarah, how's it going? It is going just great, BJ. Thank you. That's good. And to round it out, Lee, how are you doing? I am the flame of Mangum Talks. I'm here, I'm ready to go. We got to work on well, our that intros. That has some interesting connotations. There were some great intros in this episode. That's uh, true. People getting introduced. Like, yeah, Khaleesi title. Absolutely. Territory. Yeah, we should work on that with the podcast. Get like really <laughs> long titles for each of us. That, that was pretty awesome. So, yeah. Lee, do you hold us together then? That's right. What What is the the um, flowing with the river? I mean, it was all kinds of stuff going on here. With the <laughs> they were really. It was really good. Yeah. Um, all sorts of good things. Uh, we have a bunch of segments that we do on this podcast. Um, but before we get into those nitty gritty details, Lee, do you have anything to tell us about other things going on on our podcast channels? Absolutely. This is a Mangum Talks podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, go to mangumtalks.com. We do a lot of podcasts, a lot of television review podcasts. We do some general interest podcasts, a movie review podcast, a lot of good stuff. So if you appreciate uh, the commentary you're getting today if you like listening to us talk you can always go to mangumtalks.com or go to your favorite podcast provider type in mangum talks and you can listen to any of our pods and if you're enjoying this pod and you have a podcast platform that allows for rating and reviewing please (laughs) do it uh i've been informed that not all of the the podcast platforms that our our listeners listen on allow for that but um i'm a big apple guy uh blue dots all day and uh, I, you can on Apple Podcasts. So if you're on an Apple Podcast, definitely rate and review us. That stuff really helps. It moves us up the charts. The more people listen, the more we can engage. Hopefully the better po- the podcast gets. So thanks everybody for listening. Um, yeah, PJ, take it away. Awesome. So, so yeah, as I said, we have a bunch of segments. Uh, the first one is going to be headed up by Lee, where Woo! we do a recap, uh, fairly scene by scene, of the... Uh, this episode of Wheel of Time uh, that will be followed by uh, Tavern of the Week, which uh, sort of the most interesting character in this week's episode, um, and that is headed up by Bree. Uh, that is followed by Gleeman's Corner, where we have uh, sort of best quotes slash conversations, and I am the decider on that. Mm-hmm. And then we round out part one, which is the uh, TV show only. So spoilers for, for this episode, episode six of Wheel of Time, but nothing spoiler from the books. Um, and so we round out the, the this part one with Novice's Notes, where we get some theories and speculation. And my favorite segment, again, headed up by Lee, Dragon Power Rankings. I'm Dragon Power I'm Rankings. I'm real excited. It's definitely so shaken up this week, this. for sure. It's um, been a big shakeup for the last three episodes. Absolutely. A lot of movement in the Dragon uh, Power Rankings. Yep, and then we'll uh, eventually go on to part two, where we have uh, lots of things with book spoilers, uh, where Sarah gets to do a lot more things, uh, which I'm excited to do every time. Um, But I think without much further ado, we should uh, jump into the recap. Yeah, I I haven't listened to like the second part of any of our podcasts, obviously, because I'm unsolved. Yeah, you better not. Yeah, I don't, but I just imagine you all like, I leave the room and you're like, okay, so toss out everything you saw in the episode. Because every time I ask about the book stuff, you're like, yeah, that's not in the books. That person's not in the books. So God yeah. knows what that segment's like for you guys. I mean, you're kind of um, not wrong. You're not wrong. And it's also really interesting because sometimes it feels like the closer that they are to the books, the the rougher the episode can be. Just because, like, m- meshing that into, like, the speed up and what they're doing rather than sort of just taking, like, broad generalities does interesting things to the various episodes. So, um 
I think it's pluses and minuses. Anyway. Awesome. Yeah, I've just taken the tack in the second part of there was no source material for any of this, although BJU and Bree seem to just intuit things about the world um, that were never in any <laughs> I mean, books in the first place. So finishing I'm just, the series helps. It's just going to ask yeah. a lot of questions. Yeah, yeah, they've read the whole series, so that's probably where that comes from. Okay, let's do the recap. Season 1, Episode 6, The Flame of Tarvalon. We start with a young girl and her father out on a boat. The father, who has one hand, is struggling with untying a rope. We see the girl behind him, whoop, doing the magic, doing the one power. Maybe like 12, 10, 12, something like that. That seems about the age range. Yeah, somewhere around there. Using the one power to undo the knot. And as soon as he does, he looks around, worried that somebody might have seen. They get in front of, uh, they get in from fishing. Looks like they had a good haul. The guy at least knows how to fish. Once he gets his, his net ready, he can fish. That's what I've established with this guy. And it looks like their hut is burned down or wherever they were living, home, whatever you want to call it. And then we see the father sending the girl away on a boat. He tells her he'll be okay without a boat and a house. Not buying that. Don't think the mm-hmm. father's going to be okay. Just putting that out there. Don't... Um, just, Go ahead. So a quick thing that we saw with the burnt out hut, uh, there was uh, the dragon's fang. So the, the downward pointing uh, part of the yin yang uh, on the door. So does that tell us who who did it? Who who burned down the house? No. So th- I think this is a a call to the books where this is sort of like the evil eye kind of thing. Like somebody scrawls that on your door if they think you're a dark friend. Sometimes a dark friend, but much more like they don't like you. This is this is kind of like certain bad graffiti on somebody's house or whatever. Gotcha. So it tells us much more about who the village th- or who whoever it is thinks they are, not right, who actually exactly. burned down the house. Which would explain right. why he's sending her away. Yeah. And um, he says, I could do no more. Uh, she says, you should, come, you should come with me, Dad. And he says, I could no more do that than a fish could touch the moon. Her response, fish touch the moon's reflection every night. Real smart ass we've got here. Uh, <laughs> know it all, girl. Um, she, he's like, well, you're too smart for your own good. She tells, uh, he tells her, uh, well, she basically says, I don't belong in the White Tower. And he says, you're going to do great things. And if any of the masters try to shame you, you show them who you are. Swan Sanche, daughter of the river, clever as a pike, strong as the tides. And off she goes. And obviously the dad dies, right? I mean, we're all just going to assume the dad <laughs> dies. One arm. I mean, we didn't see it on screen. Yeah. One arm, no boat, no house. I don't, I don't like his chances. Then we, get the, then we get the opening. It is... Um, Five minutes and 30 seconds for the cold opening this week. Long. Um, almost as long as the one we had, which was The Dragon Reborn, which I think was the longest one we've had of the season. Mm-hmm. So this show tends to err on the side of long, cold, cold openings. Their opening yeah. scene is usually pretty substantial. Uh, I think this, this flashback is pretty substantial. Obviously, The Dragon Reborn, I think that was probably the most substantial cold opening we had. But they're not throwaway scenes like a lot of shows do. So I, I would uh, suggest to our viewers, when you... Turn it on, lock in, because the first episode, first uh, scene is usually pretty important. Well, what I love and about these cold openings is that they are really, at least in my my memory of what they have been, they're really telling complete stories in and of themselves. So I think that's part of the reason that they're longer, but I think that it's so interesting that they've taken this tack of doing almost a one-act play that is completely, while it's related to the episode, of course, it's completely different from where we actually start the episode proper. Yeah, and I think the other thing that the cold opens, and I think this is continuing on through, and I think we've mentioned this before, is they set up a new place, right? So this is a completely new area that we have never seen. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is Tyr, um, and so it's it's just really cool to see the world expand every time we get a cold open. 
Agree. And then I think that the other thing that this is doing is it's it's making it so that we don't get um, flashbacks or flash out of like the main people that we're following within the show itself. It's doing that before and sort of separating that out and giving sort of world context before you get into like the main part of the episode. And I think it's just an interesting way of doing things. Oh, and then we get the cold, get the actual opening. Uh, I, that, this thing has gotten in my head. I don't know about you guys. Um, and it seems to get longer every week. I, am I wrong about that? That the, the <laughs> actual wrong about the music, that. it's, I think, I think I, it's literally, I feel the same. like they're adding scenes to it. Like at the end, am I wrong? Maybe I'm wrong, but it seems Maybe. to get longer. Um, That'd be that, a really cool thing if they were like weaving in a little bit more each time, but you know, we'd have to, you know, maybe sit there with a stopwatch or something. I think they, I think they are. Anyway, that oh, is in my head like all week. Cut to what looks like a throne room, and it's the Amberlin seat, and we have Moraine in blue, Leandrin in red, Alana in green. Alana, did I get that right, BJ? Yep. Shout out to me. All in their <laughs> Sunday best. We have different costumes. Pivot to Sarah. Sarah, what do you think of the costumes this episode? The costumes are better when they're in their Sunday best. I'm much more convinced <laughs> by these costumes than I am by the traveling clothes that they have been wearing up to till now. Because it's supposed to be nice, right? Yes. Because yeah. they're supposed to be clean. And this is where the like clean lines, the very sort of defined, I'm doing, once again, a lot of hand motions, which is great in an audio format. But we have a lot of like very sharp, sharp clothes, which I think is great. I know we're about to get there. She hasn't come in yet, but since we're talking about costuming, the the Amberlin seats gown is fucking baller. Yeah, it's I am all over this. I'm still on. I'm the... glad you liked it because I was very like I do not like. Well, this. I, I think this is you know, and we'll get to it later. You know, <laughs> departure from the books, and so we have a disappointed dark friend with with some of those things. But bit. I, you know, again. This is what what I was talking about, where when they have scenes like that are sort of directly from the books, you start making those comparisons. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing I want to say about the costuming is I thought it was really cool how different Alana's uh, dress is from Moraine's. And they're from very different parts of this world. Mm-hmm. And so instead of, you know, a very sharp... Uh, almost like shoulder pad look that, that Moraine has. Almost, her her dress and everything almost looks like armor. There's a lot of sort of stiff leather yes. looking yes. stuff on, on, on the on the top, whereas Alana's is very soft and... Uh, yes. Moraine, yeah, Moraine reminds me of season eight Cersei. Like it's, um, it's, it's yes, it is formal gown, but it, it almost looks militarized in a way. Like um, yeah. with the, with the, with the, a really thick leather. I agree with that completely, BJ. Um, then the Amarillin Seed is announced, and I believe they announce her as the Watcher of the Seals, the Flame yep. of Tarvalon, the Amarillin Seed, yep. Watcher of the Seals. What? What is that? You don't need to know. I yeah. got it. it, okay. it that's book spoilers, cool. or just spoilers in general. Got it. Well, uh, from now on, I'd like to be announced as the runner of the recap, the maker of the power rankings, <laughs> and Mangum Talks' own Lee, if that's okay with you, BJ. Could you write that down? Um, Thank you. Yeah, I, I mean, if you write it down, I can definitely announce you. Have a metal staff that I bang on on the floor and ring out. Uh, we can we can get and this done. And we call you Keeper, hmm, Keeper of the Names. Yeah, something like that. We'll figure it out. I don't know. Anyway, she sits down and uh, notice she's wearing gold. She's not wearing any of the colors. She's wearing a neutral sort of thing, right? And Rain looks a bit emotional when she sees her. Now, 
On a rewatch, you're going to notice that more because of the relationship between the Amarillan Sea, uh, Swan Sanche, and Moraine. But I actually did notice it when I first saw it. And I think what they did there, and it's real subtle, is if you're watching it the first time, the implication is that she's in trouble. And so when she sees the Amarillan Sea, my thought was she's like panicking. There's an emotion. There's a scared emotion. When in reality, if you go back on a rewatch, it's probably... She's seen her lover for the first time in like two years, and so she's overcome yeah. with emotion, right? So you're, it, it's really interesting how you can misinterpret her facial expressions on the first viewing. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I want to quickly point out, um, well, two things actually. One, uh, the hood of the Amarillin seat or the color is uh, has colors on it, and that's representing each of the ajas. And so this is another nod to. Uh, she's not of a particular Aja, and we get this later. She's she's of all Ajas. She represents all of the Aes Sedai. Um, but that's one of the things in the costuming that's uh, a nod to that. Um, and then the other thing... She's a blue. When you're, she's a blue. She is. She's not supposed to be. Not supposed yes. to be, but she's blue. Um, and then the other thing, um, and we got this, I think, in episode three, maybe, where uh, Moraine is doing really badly. And she's like not breathing well and completely color drained. She whispers a name, and it's Swan. Mm-hmm. And it's like one of those things that you can just miss really quickly. But I think that it puts a bigger, uh, it gets put into context for this episode. Okay, shout out to you for catching that. That is a fucking great point because talk about consistency in the show, right? It's something that would be a complete throwaway line on your first time through, but if you rewatch it, it fills out like the story, man. That that make stuff like that makes this the series really rewatchable. So, and and this is where I'll put a plug for for reading the books. You know, after this is done, is that is one of the great things that Robert Jordan does is he puts tiny little things where you're like, ah, that means nothing. Three books later, you're like, hey, wait a second, where, that's cool. That, that's where that came from, or that's that. that character that I saw three books ago. Awesome. They all bow their heads as she takes a seat. Then they bring in Loghain. Look, if you still have Loghain stock, um, if you can <laughs> get someone to buy it, sell it. Because um, I'm not sure it's going to be worth much money. Uh, the false dragon, they call him. He's brought in on his knees, Swan, who I'm, I'm going to call her Swan instead of the Amarillan seat. Uh, why? Uh, Gwen calls it out later in the episode. Fucking confusing. The seat and the person <laughs> name the same thing. Uh, I'm calling her Swan. So Swan asks why he's chained. Gentle as he is, he poses no threat. Damn. What a burn. Mm-hmm. They take off his chains. She says, Logan Oblar, do you know why you were here? Logan, uh, finding his voice, uh, has a script. I think he's written a script while he was been, while he was uh, put in whatever dungeon they have there. And he says, you know what they say about you, I said I, the further you get from this tower that you are weak, weaker than you have ever been. That might be true. A hundred years ago, if a man stood up and said he was going to White Tower, they'd throw the, to throw, overthrow the Amarillin seat from or to throw the Amarillin seat from her throne, no one would follow. They'd kill me for even suggesting it, but when I was coming for you, I had an army at my back. He then mocks the parade that they had, where they dragged him through the streets. And he said, you know what people will remember? They will remember that one man fought against nine mighty eyes to die that I still stake that green bitch to the wall. All goes quiet. Uh, some rumblings. Clearly, he was trying to get their attention. He was trying to upset them. Swan looks Touched around. Swan, Swan looks around. So this is the first moment where I thought, oh, we might be dealing with somebody who's pretty 
pretty sharp here because she says, what they say outside this city hall, I am not so easily fooled. Then she says that if he seeks the release of death, he's not going to find it here. And you can see his body collapse when she says that because she's on to what he's doing. She's like, you're just, you're just trying to piss me off. So I'll kill you. I'm not killing you. Guess what you're going to do. You're going to live out the rest of your life as an example to all the other false dragons and men who dare to chant, men who dare to channel. I thought that was important too. It's not just the false dragons. It's men who dare to touch the one power. And she tells him that um, we're going to study you uh, until you completely lose your mind entirely to the madness. I want to pause there because that confuses me. Is he, so he's been, chant, he's, been, he's been gentle, so he's not touching the one power anymore. He's still going to go mad? So the ma- I guess the madness doesn't go away when you get gentle? Yeah, so that is an unfortunate thing is that even, even if they have been gentled, the effects of the madness are still present. Um, okay, it might not get me. it might not progress, but it's still there. So like they haven't made that completely clear. Yeah. And that I, I don't think that was particularly well, clear no. in the books. Right. Well, no, but... I, I got to pause you there because she says we're going to study you until you lose yourself entirely to the madness. I think the implication there is that it will progress. Well, but I wonder well, if it's a little bit like of a distinction that we're not getting here because it might be that the, the madness caused by. Um, sort of channeling a, a one power that has been corrupted in some way will will stop and not progress any further. But we have a lot of, once you're gentle, but we have a lot of evidence that once you have the one power taken away from you, that is in itself kind of provoking of a different kind of madness. Right. And so, like, I think maybe the combination of the depression mm-hmm. and the madness, like, things will progress. Um, and I don't think that they've had a lot of opportunity and maybe they just know that he will progress into madness. It's just not clear, like, what that progression means in terms of, like, you know, at this point, maybe he'll still lose his mind. He doesn't need to, like, get more different crazy. It's just, like, how much he's still, like, tied to reality, etc. So okay, maybe yeah, they I'll, just hit a tipping point I'll just say in this. terms of how much madness they have. I'll just say this. Being gentle has to suck because you lose all the good stuff and you don't lose any of the bad stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, The other thing that I want to point out that is a bit of a nod to the books, I think, but uh, something that they don't talk about and is easy to miss, there is a seat empty in the hull of the tower that you see when they pan around. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask about that because I couldn't um, remember, or I'm I'm not not even sure if I've gotten there in the books, but I did notice that there was a seat empty, um, and I was trying to do the math to figure out who it was, and then I didn't really know who it was. So there are three sitters per Aja, so three women in, in each color, one green is missing. The presumption at, that I would make, and I think you know the books kind of support this, is uh, Karina was a sitter. Okay. And that's probably why she was put in charge, that she has yep. um, sort of a, a Senate-type seat at, in, in the uh, White Tower, and uh, that's why there's an empty seat in, on the green side. And that makes it, we do get evidence later that those sort of senate seated Aes Sedai do still go out into the world and do things oh, because sure. our girl in blue yeah. says she might have to go out to figure out what's happening with the ships in the West, right? Yes. Yes. Um, okay. Uh, so then she says that he can go, that Logan can go. Logan then starts openly begging to die, which I think, you know, furthers the... I guess the, the the assumption that the that Swan Sanchez was making, which was this was all false bravado, and he was just trying to posture to be killed. So and, and yeah, he tips his hand when he starts begging to die. 
Moraine seems slightly affected by his begging to die. There was a lot of emotion from Moraine in this episode, more so than I think in any other episode we got. I'm not sure if that's because of all the events necessarily affecting her or if there's just a flood of emotion within her from seeing Swan Sanche again. I don't, I don't know. I think there are a couple of things. I think to add to that, I would say that other than Red's, I think even gentling makes Aes uncomfortable because they do have this other version and, and we get this later in the episode called Stilling yep. where, and, and I think we might've gotten mentioned it before where, yeah. where Aes are cut off from the one power. Yep. And so even though it is a man channeling and, and you know, the outcome effects, this is something that could possibly happen to, to an Aes And so they're always sort of uncomfortable about that pretty much unless they're red because the reds are, yeah, I mean, you can think of it. Yeah. You can think of it as a lobotomy, right? Like, and I mean, most normal people are going to be uncomfortable when they see somebody who's had a lobotomy, right? Like, you yeah, know, right. like you're going to be like, wow, that, that would really suck. You, the fact that somebody's like lost part of themselves in their mind, super uncomfortable. I can see how that would that, that makes that's a good point, BJ. How that would just generally affect her just seeing someone in that state, especially knowing what we know later in the episode, which is what she's doing could result in her being stilled at some point, right? So that's yeah. probably always in the back of her mind. Then Swan says, our th- main three can approach. She then says the others can leave. She says that Loghain deserved a fair trial before her, not battlefield justice. Good phrase there, battlefield justice. Then Leandrin, uh, who does not seem to have a super amount, lar- like a large amount of respect for the Emerlin seat. I'm just going to point that out. Like she doesn't seem scared by the Emerlin at all. And I wonder if there's any like book context to that. Um, maybe, I mean, I guess they've, there's been a couple of references in the show that she's gaining power. So maybe she feels empowered to, to speak to the Amberlynn in a way that it seems like nobody else in that hall is willing to do. And I think that's what they're setting it up for is that Leandrin clearly feels fairly powerful and fairly confident um, in her position. Yeah. And then one of the things that I don't we might get later, but I don't think it's a big surprise. I mean, Alana talked about this a little bit in the last episode, that there are women that have a lot of power in the one power, also force, force of personalities. And I think that they're sort of setting up that Moraine, Swan Sanchi, and Leandrin are sort of at like the top tier of, yes. of power holders, mm-hmm. um, both in terms of the one power and in terms of like force of personality, yes. political will, etc. And so I think this is sort of like, you know, different factions that we sort of find out that Moraine and Swan are in the same faction, um, vying Their for power. Their own little faction yes. that nobody else belongs to. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 got, I, I definitely got that in watching it, that those three seem to be like leaders or the, the you know, the strong, and so therefore they were held accountable, right? So right. Um, Swan says, have you, you're, Swan says you're red, uh, but you were trained a long time ago. Have you forgotten your training? Shield first, gentle second, kill last of all. Now, I'm, I don't like Leandrin, but I'm going to say she did seem to want to follow that. I mean, they did shield him first, right? So Leandrin shouts at her, you didn't see what he did to her. And everybody's kind of like, wow, whoa, she got a tongue on her. She then asks for forgiveness. I'm sorry, uh, mother. They call her, uh, when an mm-hmm. Aes is speaking directly to the Amarillan Sea, calls her mother. Uh, Alana then speaks up, whoa, I uh, didn't see this coming. And says, Leandrin made the right choice. They all did. Then he goes to the Moraine, quote, if we hadn't tamed him, mother, all of us would have been killed, not just Karini. Not 100% sure that's true. Swan then says their laws don't well, just exist to protect them. Go ahead. But Maureen has to believe that that is true. 
And and so notice that. that she didn't she didn't Fair. say gentled. She said tamed. Ah, and that's a so, good point. So yeah, if we we point. had to we had yeah, so she didn't she didn't say we had to gentle him. She mm-hmm. said we had to Exactly. Tame him. Okay. Yeah. Damn it, BJ. You're on fire this episode. You want the recap? I'll send you my notes. You can go. You can run with it. That's a great point. Uh that, that yeah, cuz that that's how she got around. Yeah, it's a different term. Yeah. Yeah. Swan then says their laws so. don't just exist to protect them, they exist to protect others from them, from their power. Really loved that. Uh, because that makes me feel like maybe the Aes Sedai and their rule, I don't know how far they rule. They obviously rule Tarvalon. I don't know if they rule much other uh, than that in this world, but it seems like there is at least a vein of just in them, right? This is a just law, yeah. this idea that like our laws protect others from our power. I really liked that framing. Leandrin is doing the little kid thing, right? You, you know, like of... <clears throat> Turning away, like, yeah, I have something to say, but, you know, wiggling around. And Juan Swan's finally like, you got something? And Leandrin mentions Nynaeve. Leandrin, when we found Moraine, she was traveling with the most powerful channel channeler we've seen in a thousand years, more powerful than even you, mother. And yet Moraine said nothing of the girl's skills. We knew nothing until Nynaeve healed us of our wounds. News to me that she's the most powerful channeler in a thousand years. I mean, is so I guess my question to everyone here is... Is that is what she did? That sort of like fierce, radiating, like tapping into the one power. Everyone around her is healed. Was that itself more powerful than what the Aes Sedai can do, or are they seeing what she did as a that, like that? If that's are they extrapolating? Are they saying if that's the first time you channel, then holy shit, look out! Like what? What? Which of the two is that? Probably both. Okay. Yeah, it is unclear. Um, I think. I think either could be interpreted reasonably. Okay, so we don't think that Moraine could just tap into the one power flash and heal everyone around her the way that Nynaeve did. I think that was that was a pretty impressive display of power. Mm-hmm. Simultaneous healing of multiple deadly wounds. I don't know. I think Moraine could probably do it. <laughs> um, okay. So we'll hold that candle. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, it, I, I mean, I just don't like. It's just not clear. I mean, I, I know that you guys come to it with a lot of knowledge, right? And you, you can you can answer the question, right? But I don't think it's perfectly clear in the show if that display of power is something that the others can't do or if it's they're, they're looking at it and saying, man, that's the first time she ever tapped into the one power. Yeah. And I don't think the show clear. has made that clear. I think right. it's not perfectly clear, but I think you have a lot of clues to lead you there. So one, we get that uh, Karini, who's one of the most powerful... Uh, Aes Sedai, probably apart from Moraine, in that group, healed Moraine, but, you know, because she was already tired, that was tough for her. Um, so healing's then, not easy, basically. Correct. Right. And and I think that they also mentioned that Alana probably wouldn't have even been able to do it. So, but healing is sort of, like, everybody has their own thing that they're good at, so this is probably a surprise just in general because yellows who are good at healing might not even be able to do that. But like, again, it's very much unclear as you were saying, but I think we have hints that this was probably a surprise. Yeah. And I mean, for the second part though, Lee, I would also say, I think you're right in that we saw Egwene's first attempt at using the power, which was just a little blue flash um, in the stone. And Nynaeve's is, oh, I healed 11 people. 
Yeah. Okay. I and there's you. a little bit of a difference in that's what a, that's that really good like. framing. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. That 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 makes a lot of sense as to why they're talking about her the way that they are. It does seem to me. I'm going to make a boxing analogy here, which I know is really going to land with all three of you. <laughs> um, it really seems to me like somebody who's like training and delivers like a an, a massive roundhouse in training, and they're like, "Whoa, we don't know anybody who could throw a punch that way." However. You have still got to train to learn how to throw that punch, when not to throw it, how to throw it in such a way that's not dangerous to you. Like, there's still a lot that Nynaeve needs to do, obviously. Absolutely. Yeah, just because you're capable of it and got it out once doesn't mean that it's not, that it's like always available to you. Um, and certainly not always available to you in a way that is safe for yourself and others that you can call on at will. Right. Yeah, yes. I mean, I, I would equ- like kind of equate what Nynaeve did to, she knocked somebody out. Yeah. Like, there was one punch thrown, you never saw anything else from her, and it knocked somebody big out, whereas Egwene is probably in the, like, she looks really good training. Yeah, yeah, okay, all that makes sense. Um, Leandrin c- continues to push Maureen, like, why didn't you tell us? And Maureen's like, look, I didn't know that she could channel. Maureen's like, well, you, Leandrin's like, we had to suspect and Marine's like, I did suspect, but I didn't know. And therefore, I didn't tell you because I wasn't sure. And Swan Sanche finally jumps in and asks for the point. Leandrin then goes on a monologue about Lee, uh, about Marine's travels and says she should have been collecting knowledge to protect them from the trunks that invaded in the West and Lugane's army that swelled without even a warning. Didn't even get a warning from Marine of all these events happening around. A blue stands up in the background. This looks like, looks like a leader of the blues. Um... Looks a little bit like Mon Mothma from uh, mm-hmm. Star Wars, I'm just going to mm-hmm. say. Uh, <laughs> That's correct. Uh, she, uh, she stands up and says, uh, This is blue business, doggone it. Mother, not for scrutiny in this hall. And Leandrin then throws it back to Swan Sanchez, saying basically like, Hey, she's saying you can't even... Look at that. She's questioning your power. She's saying you can't even question her right now in this hall. Swan Sanchez kind of boxed in here, has to go on uh, to continue to interrogate Moraine. She addresses Marine. She says, look, you left the tower two years ago. Where the hell did you go? And Marine's like, well, from Tyr. Tyr, that's where she's from, right? No. No, that's where that's Swan, where is, Swan from. is from. That's, that's what, what I'm saying. saying. Yeah. That's what I'm yeah. saying. That's yeah. where Swan's from. It's interesting exactly. that she says Tyr. I feel like that's a like a little boop. Uh, I went to your hometown. Yeah, I've been to Tyr. Yeah, I went to your hometown. Um, to the two rivers and many towns between. She asks her, what purpose? Uh, Swan's like, well, what purpose do you have in all this travel? Like, what the hell are you doing? It kind of fascinates me that Moraine, seemingly one of the more powerful Aes Sedai, at least one of the more recognizable, known within the Aes Sedai, um, can be fucking off for two years and no one knows why. Like, <laughs> it got to be a good gig being an Aes Sedai. Like, you don't, you can just do whatever the hell you want, apparently. It's, it's fascinating to me that she doesn't have any sort of cover for this. And all she can say is, I can't tell you. There's no cover at all. Now, part of this is because she can't lie, right? But... There's also no, like, you could easily build in something, right? Well, what, She's been doing a lot of other things, That's too. what I was like, thinking. Like, we've seen her be doing other things, kind of around trying to find the Dragon Reborn. Like, she could have come up with some sort of... Yeah, what if she was doing a one? census? Yeah. What if she was doing a census? You know, just going around asking, how many people in this village? And just jotting it down. And then whenever Swan Sanjay <laughs> asks, you'd be like, well, I was doing the census. You know, there could be a cover story. The fact that there isn't one at all shows me how much freedom that Moraine has in her travels. Until she gets asked about it by the Emerald Sea here, uh, right in the scene. BJ had something. Yeah, um, I was gonna say, I th- this seems like a she never expected to be asked this question, and so didn't have like something immediately for like this is the other thing that we were doing that 
she had like lined up and and like she had decided on yeah it's really awkward but that in itself is telling right of the amount of freedom that she has um exactly yeah because if you can walk around in the world with that assumption for two years like that like i said that tells you a lot about what you think your position is um right it gets well and she's in a particularly awkward position because we learn later that obviously her and Swan are working together. Right. Sure, yeah. But she can't say that. Yeah. Right. She can't be like, well, it was your orders, mother. Well, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. she's not going to say that. Says, Maureen says, forgive me, mother, I cannot say. Swan says, cannot or will not. We know the answer is will not. Gets quiet. Um, Swan says, on your knees. I'm not going to. Look, here's the deal. All right. I like Maureen. She's my leader. I will not be making sexual jokes about Maureen this entire episode. If you guys want to chime in with them, feel free. I'm not going to do it, though. Maureen's my leader. Um, on your knees, she says, comes up later. Swan, I will ask you one more time, what is the purpose of your travel? Marina again says, I cannot say. She says, you dare challenge me? Perhaps it's your noble blood, Lady Moraine Demodrin? Damadred. Sorry, wait, wait, just BJ. Damadred. Damadred? Basically, yeah. Okay, got it. Uh, that breeds contempt for those you consider beneath you outside this tower. It seems you do as you please, but I am the Amberlin seat. Damn it, this is my tower, my city, my world. From Tier to the Two Rivers and every town in between. So, um, two things that, that really stuck, stuck out to me in her monologue there. Um, one is she still, she's, she's the head of the fucking I said I. And she still is insecure about her background. It's obvious. Because she goes right to the class thing. Oh, well, you grew up noble and I didn't. Is that why? Like, she still has that in her head, despite the fact that she's the head of the entire fucking I said I. That or she's out to me. playing all the other I said I. By saying that, right? Because they all think that she's going to be insecure about it. Well, I mean, that gets really tricky, right? Because, like, this yeah. whole scene is, yes, Moraine and, and um, the Amarillo Seat are posturing, to your point, Lee. Um, but there is also this undercurrent of realness in everything they're saying, too. So I think it's a both and, right? I think the fact that she even even reaches to that in her posturing shows that it is a dynamic that still exists. And so that's that's just interesting, right? And then uh, also she says, my, my tower, check, makes sense to me as a casual. My city, okay, seems like they will tarvel on. My world, <laughs> say what? I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know about that one. The, the my world, that was kind of interesting to me that she felt as though... She could just bang her, her gavel and say, this is my world. With the white cloaks or the children of the light right at your doorstep right now just doing shit. Yeah, it's so, it, yeah, very interesting. This is very accurate, though. Like, the a Merlin seat has sway over this entire land with regards to people that can channel and also with regards to negotiating with rulers. So it's not like she per se is the ruler of this land. She is perhaps the ruler of this little city, but like she holds sway across the entire land. She is listened to. Um, She has a lot of influence. Yeah, and I think this is sort of saying like, hey, it doesn't matter where you were outside of this tower in my city, you're still within the world of my power because you're an Aesodai. Um, but this is, again, another one of those things, like the fact that she has to say that also means that she knows, in my mind at least, that her power is slipping, that there are challengers coming at the door. Well, there well, obviously are. There's yeah. like a fucking killing I said I left and right out well, there. Well, but there's also but I would also say, standing Yeah, right exactly. I think, I think, like, Leandrin basically forced her into 
this back and forth with oh, of Mark. course, of course you did. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I, but you know, even uh, so, this is all staged in a sense that what the Aes Sedai, or what oh no, sorry, what the Amaran Seed is saying, what Swansanji is saying to Moraine, is not obviously true, right? They, they're working together. But I still think there's things that you can find in it that, that spell the dynamic of the Amaran Seed. And in the whole episode, I mean, they call this what the the flame of Tarvalon. The whole episode exactly is kind of about her, right? So we're yeah. trying to figure out things about her as we yeah. go along. Um, so, um, go ahead. The other thing I want to point out again, you know, again, minor tidbits. Moraine says, I can't twice tell you what I was doing rather than switching to I won't. And so um, I, I think this leads us to there's something making sure that she can't talk about the mission that she was on. Yep. She then says, um, Moraine should beg for mercy. And Moraine does. She falls on the ground head first. Um, uh, and she says, I will think on your penance and deliver judgment tomorrow. She tells them to depart in the light. Uh, in my, my notes here, all caps, what the fuck happened to Leandrin's punishment? Where the fuck did that go? She just, she was, she's literally said early on, earlier on in these proceedings, Leandrin, I will deal with you tomorrow. I will have my judgment for you tomorrow. You were in charge when Karini fell and you did this and I don't yeah. think it's right and you're going to get punishment. Now all of a sudden it's like, well, I'm going to have judgment on Moraine. We hear nothing about any sort of like punishment for Leandrin. Seems to fall by the wayside. Um, I think it'll still be there. I think this is, again, one of those like say that the punishment exists and then, you know, the punishment happens at some other point, but it's not happening at the second. Um yeah, we don't hear more of it. We also don't really care what happens to Leandrin right now. So, uh, yeah, we do um, because okay. yeah, we do. A casual would because Leandrin is being set up as the villain in this tower, and you want to see her get punishment um, because she is bucking up against our hero Moraine. And the fact that they just fuck off with that storyline, they don't they don't finish it and wrap it up and let you know that Leandrin was actually punished. I'm telling you, a casual is going to look at that and be frustrated. Maybe not like with the show, like saying the show screwed up, but yeah. frustrated with the Amberlin by by basically like for me as we were watching this, I I turned to Sarah and I said, "Wow, this lady is really weak," because I felt like she was completely manipulated in them. Of course, this is before I knew about her relationship with Moraine, but if I was just someone in the I said I watching this, I would have felt like she was very easily manipulated by Leandrin and steered where exactly where Leandrin wanted her to go and away from what Leandra did wrong. So it seemed to me like very weak sauce for me uh, from, from the yeah. And I think that what not returning in this episode to Leandrin's punishment, which is something that I noted and I was debating with myself whether this is like a bad writing or is it weakness in the Amarillo Seat. Right. What it does, even as we know that the Amarillo Seat and Moraine are working together and that there's stuff going on in the background, what that does in having her not return to that is it confirms her... It confirms, at least in part, her weakness in this situation. Like, it doesn't have this complete revolution of back to a sort of strong state of power. Yes. Um, yeah. And it, it feels incomplete. And I think she talks about that later because, or maybe it's Megan that does, I can't remember, the green supporting the reds and how surprising that was. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's sort of telling us that they're a little bit more in the way of fractures from more commonplace and, and historical uh, people working together. Yep. As they walk out, Alana tells Maureen to apologize, and Maureen asks what good that will do. Uh, Maureen does run into Leandrin and her group of Reds and scoffs and laughs. It is the first time I've ever seen Maureen with that really, like, 
scoffing, condescending like laugh thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I didn't know she even had that gear, but she really does go like fucking bitch. Like yeah. that's what she does when she sees Leandrin. Leandrin says something like, "Oh well, you thought I'd be appreciative of your words in there? No way. You're just being self-interested." Uh, whatever is whatever it is you're up to, old friend, you should accomplish it quickly. Tomorrow your um, reckoning comes. Cut to Moraine getting tea in a tea house, just chilling. I was happy for her. She got a chance to go to a little local Starbucks. Got yep, a, decompress. Yeah, got got a got a coffee drink for herself. She's just chilling. Uh, I don't po- think she's doing that sleepy time tea though. Yeah, because work calls, and then across the way she sees our Ogier friend. Our homeboy. Well, she Royale. doesn't see them. We see them. Yeah. yeah. We see them. In comes Lan, and off Moraine and Lan go. Moraine asks how bad he is as she walks in. Lan says, worse than expected. She walks in and tells the innkeeper to leave and not to come back no matter what he hears. That's what you want to hear as an innkeeper, right? <laughs> well, it seems to me that like when in this in this city, when an Aes Sedai comes in, you just kind of on high alert. Sure. Almost like sure, if sure, like sure. a sheriff like walked into your, you know... Yeah, your shop or whatever. You'd be like, okay, well, whatever you say goes, right? You're the, the ruling class. Right. As she enters, Ran greets her with, Moraine, you're alive. Lan calls that out. Well, it's nice <laughs> to see you too, like an asshole. This whole interaction makes it clear that Lan is as irritated with Rand as I am. Um, he is a frustrating cat, this Rand. And Lan does not tolerate fools particularly well. So he calls it out. Ran asks about a Gween parent. Moraine says, look, I got watchers. I'll let you know when they arrive. She asks how Rand, she asked Rand how long Matt has been like this. Matt says, I know why you're here. Uh, he says, like, you know, I know what the I said I do to men like me. Rand then pulls a knife and Land gets in front, obviously steps in front of Moraine, which I thought, you know, again, putting his body in front of her, and yells, Don't be stupid, put that down. Uh, Land then disarms Rand quickly. Not I mean, like, Rand, this comes up later in this scene. I think Rand is really strong. I don't think he can fight nowhere near in Land's territory because he I mean, no, just gets darned, not even disarmed close. very, very quickly. Um, Moraine, uh, uh, Rand then yells he hasn't channeled. I thought this was interesting. Rand was super panicked here yes. that Moraine was going to gentle Matt. And he definitely took the words of the innkeeper that if Matt gets gentled, his life is basically over. So he seems in a complete panic mode and he's yelling, he doesn't channel, he can't channel. Matt, tell him, tell him, he can't channel, he can't channel. Rand, idiot. <laughs> he is an idiot. But I thought this was sweet, right? Yes. Because this just yeah. showed how much he really cares about Matt. And how much so, he took their conversation up on that balcony to heart. Exactly. Right? Yes. Um, that right. like he made this um, promise and he is going to keep he's this, doing everything this he promise. God damn it. And the other thing that I want to point out is that Moraine said that she had watchers last episode that she would know when they came in mm-hmm. and we were poo-pooing that. But like basically later that day or the next day, she sent Len out to where they were yeah. and then joined him. Yeah. So, you know, we didn't get resolution in the last episode that she actually did know where they were. But I think we now have evidence that she actually did know. Yeah, potentially. Um, it does seem like she does have these washers, although, you know, the timing of everything is a little weird. And that comes up in her conversations with the uh, conversations with the queen later, too. Uh, Matt says the world doesn't need a dragon like him. And he looks really super dark. I mean, he looks almost like a like not not like a fade, but like in that same vein. Um, yeah. As far as how the darkness is sort of about him, he's certainly not acting like himself. He pulls out the knife. He pulls it on uh, Moraine and she uses the one power to stop him. And disarm the knife, and then she says to herself, "Oh, you stupid boy! 
you took this from Shadar Lagoth. And that is the reveal that it is not that Matt is channeling and that the one power is overtaking him and the corruption and da 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 da. It's the stupid fucking knife that he stole. Mm-hmm. It has, has imparted some evil on him. And Moraine takes the knife, puts it in the air, pull, literally we see it pulling the darkness out of him. Now, some people are going to look at this. Some casuals are going to look at this and think, this is a very weird, sci-fi, like, take-me-out-of-it silliness. But I don't know how else that, like, I'm going to defend the show. I don't know how else they can show you what they're trying to show you. They're trying to show you that Matt has some sort of corruption or evil in him that the knife has imparted. And she literally is going to pull it and put it in herself for a moment before drop pulling it out. And in doing that, sacrificing herself, or at least really exerting an awful lot of effort to help him. So I felt like, as while a casual might look at this and think, oh, this is a little too magic-y for me, I'm not quite sure how else they could have displayed what they're trying to display. And at least and it is consistent. Like, the way that they're displaying it, sorry to interrupt, BJ, but the way that they're displaying it is at least consistent with some other things that we've seen, like around Loghain, for example, yes. and his the corruption in... Um, his use of the one power. So it's, it is like a little overly magic-y. It gets into that kind of, kind of realm, but it is internally consistent within the show of how they're showing it. Um, and it is also consistent with, um, what we saw of Shadar Lagoth earlier too, that sort of like creeping mossy stuff around her face, which is also a callback to, uh, Matt in the, in the farmhouse with the fate, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing that I think is really neat about this scene is I think, like, I really enjoyed watching Moraine in this scene because, like, her voice when she says, oh, you stupid boy, like, you just hear her being like, are you fucking kidding me? You went out, you did this, and I told you not to? And then she's like, all right, I have to, well, I didn't tell her. Land. Land. Yeah. The boys in this. Um, But then, you know, just, I imagining her acting out the scene and and you know all of that obviously is fake the the stuff coming to her mouth and then going you know into the knife um but i think she acts it really really well um so i think it was well done yeah rosamund pike crushes it this this episode there's a lot of facial expressions that she's doing um a lot of really subtle acting and she doesn't give a lot of lines right this isn't a dialogue heavy show there's mm-hmm. a lot of action and there's a lot of facial expressions that are happening too, yeah. and, and things that, that give you an indication of what the characters are thinking and what they're going through. Uh, she pulls it out, the black goes from rain to the knife, and then it's over, it looks like, and Matt starts to breathe again, starts to come back to the living. Give me a drink! <laughs> That's probably what he's screaming, right? We, we realize he does some, some day drinking the next day. Um, outside, yeah, pretty much. So quickly, yep. before you go on, um, I want to say two things. One, like... This is a much more magic-heavy world than, I would say, either Lord of the Rings, which is a little bit more high fantasy, or uh, Game of Thrones, which is a little bit more grimdark, where the magic has, in Game of Thrones, the magic has no longer in the world that we're in. And uh, Lord of the Rings is sort of much more reserved to the wizards, where this is like, they're part of society. So we're going to just see a lot more magic throughout the entire thing. And so I think that they're choosing ways the best ways that they can to like show it being used. Um, and I mean, I, I think that this was an interesting one. And then the other thing that I wanted to mention is I thought that the uh, the evil in Shadar Logoth was super interesting because it would invade their mouth mm-hmm. and like get into them. 
and we we find out that it's the that's it's the uh, inhabitants of the city that turned against each other so we're accusing each other of being dark friends or we're not trusting each other and so like i i think that like thread of like it's invading your insides and like Mm -hmm. what you say and how you interact with people and that's what that's the problem that matt kept having like he he would accuse people of something or think that they had evil intentions or or something like that and he wasn't as in control of like the words that came out of his mouth yep yeah great point um yeah and the thing about magic i mean no so game of thrones succeeded in part because there was very little magic this 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 show will never be as big as game of thrones because there's so much magic i can just tell you it just doesn't appeal to as many people but i still was trying to i was still trying to say like i still think there was purpose to to how they did the scene and i think they executed it particularly well considering what they were trying to show I, i really liked the scene outside marine is clearly affected by what just happened she looks tired looks like she just got done with a workout uh, Rand comes outside and thanks her for helping. She says, what did you expect me to do? Rand doesn't answer. says, he saw the darkness coming out of Matt and going into her. Maureen, I would do it for any of you. He says, you could have just said you're welcome. So he's trying to banter with her a little bit. Yeah, I know, I know I pulled a knife on you earlier, but uh, yeah, can we just get back to being buddies? Uh, <laughs> Rand then posits it's not Matt because well, he can't channel after all, right? So he's not going to be the dragon. Maureen's like, look, I, I don't know. Okay, that does it. Basically what she's saying is, that doesn't necessarily qualify him or disqualify him, what just occurred here. However, I will tell you that he's pretty fucking strong because that dagger would have probably killed somebody not very strong. And another thing is it was creating darkness in him, right? But it was pulling from darkness that was already in him. This, this is what she's establishing here. So is Matt the person that we saw on the bed before Moraine did the little magic out of the mouth thing? No, he's not that guy. But I think what she's indicating is he's kind of a little bit that guy. Like he's got some of that darkness in him and he got to watch out for that. He needs to be very careful in essence. Um, saying if he touches that knife again, he's going to be in trouble. Uh, so uh, then... And I would like just... If he touches that knife again, he's going to be in trouble. I mean, With Moraine at least. Well, sure. But yeah, that is one of those sort of that is one of those lines where you just watch it and you're like, oh my god, he's gonna touch the fucking knife again. Yeah, there is no way in the world that he's not going to touch the fucking. Well, she knife needs again. to take the knife. Yeah, right? that, somebody does. Yeah. Anyway, so what? What the the sense that I got before and like I wasn't sure where they were going to go with this, but it almost seemed um, drug like to to him. Like it, it was draining him. It sort of I don't know. In my head, I was like, oh, this this kind of looks like. A heroin addiction or something like that where it's like eating him from the inside and he's getting super gaunt and and just like not able to go out and do anything now it's been taken away but that want is still there yeah it'll be interesting to see if, if that's the case i mean he, he certainly did look like someone who was that's yeah, uh, visually kind of mm-hmm. did look like somebody maybe struggling with that we just um, haven't seen enough of him sort of after of him actually functioning in the world to know uh, how that's going right. to play out i would say and right. we're not going to for at least a little while yeah. so in comes loyal um and she greets him as builder um bj Bree, uh why does she greet him as builder can say can't say can we talk about this I, it's, it's one of the ways that the ace die address the ogier um, and, and we actually get I mean, more in, in the x-ray. So. More in the, yeah. So the Ogier, so after the breaking, they were looking for their homes, the studying. So this is all in the x-ray extra. 
Um, and the setting are like big groves of trees and they're sort of like little um, areas of, of peace um, and safety. And if the Ogier don't go back there regularly, they, they are overcome with something called the longing. But during their periods where they were searching for the setting, um, they, they built a lot of cities. Um, so working with stone and masonry, um, so they are called the builders. And one of the things that they participated heavily in making is the tower. Yeah. And so one of the... A lot of the really cool... Um, in, intricate stonework. Yeah, all of that stuff that we've seen in the tower is Ogier made. Cool. Um, yeah, so builder. Uh, that, she calls him that again, uh, later in the episode as well. Uh, Nynaeve comes in and Moraine just shakes her head and says, Nynaeve, of course. <laughs> so you're getting a lot of like Moraine like right up against it with her frustrations this episode. Because she's clearly very frustrated that Nynaeve knew that Matt was there. Uh, Nynaeve, of course, when she's in the like she does when she's always in the wrong, attacks and says, uh, you know, how did you find them? And Moraine, whoop, here's a good quote, potential line of the episode. A better question might be, why you didn't find me as soon as you saw the darkness in Matt? Your pride might have killed your friend. If wisdom is the title you claim, I suggest you start using some. <laughs> Mic drop out of the out of the room. Moraine just gave it to Nynaeve. I think completely fair criticism yeah. of Nynaeve here. Yeah. Um, she has got to start trusting someone because just doing it on your own thing is just not going to work for her. She about killed Matt with that shit. And so I, I think this harkens back to uh, what we got from Nynaeve when she was talking to Lan that people don't come to the wisdom for... Uh, for a lack of knowledge for, for, for somebody who Ignorance, yeah. doesn't know what to do. And so whenever that's the case, I think she covers up with a, maybe an overabundant sense of being in control and anger. Little Elizabeth Holmes, little fake it till you make it, <laughs> fake it till you make it situation for Nynaeve. Just give her a yeah. black turtleneck and we'll be good to go. Can't do that in um, medicine. Brie, you know this, right? Like you can't fake it till oh, you yeah. make it in medicine, right? That's a bad move. <laughs> I mean, but there is, I mean, there is something too. if you, if you speak with confidence, even if you are the worst doctor in the world, people will believe you, right? Whereas until they have, problem, yeah. yeah, and it's a huge, it's a huge problem. But that's something that I, you know, tell my students is like, hey, you got to believe what you're telling your client and be able to really present it with confidence. Because if you don't, they're not going to believe you and they're not going to trust you. I mean, and the other side, and we see this here is... You know, if Nynaeve had a real treatment, even if she wasn't super confident in it, being more confident in convincing somebody to take it that might improve is better than just doing nothing and having no idea what to do. And so I think this is sort of where we see both sides of Nynaeve and probably why she was so angry to try and cover up the, I can't do anything. I don't know what I'm going to do. Like I knew nothing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's obviously a failing of Nynaeve, right? Like you've hit on a huge character flaw for her. Yeah, it, it really is. And, you know, Moraine has has pinned it too. And I think it's something that my, Nynaeve was really going to need to work on. Especially if she's the dragon. I mean, if you're going to be a dragon, you got to fucking buck up and work on this shit. <laughs> got to do some I mean, personal growth. Yeah. Cut to Moraine in a steam room. Again, Moraine, my leader. Not sexualized from this guy. In comes uh, Magain? Magin? What the hell is this lady's name? I think it's Megan. 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 I'm gonna go with Megan. Uh, I like Megan. M A I G A N. Megan. Um, yeah. Okay. So this this seems to be the leader of the blues. That's what I'm getting. 
And Moraine mentioned she's holding the meeting there because hell, I've been on the road. I need some creature comforts, okay? We're gonna meet in the steam room, get over it. Uh, she's looking, um, she's basically saying, um, McGain is saying, my time is limited and I am not particularly happy with what happened in the hall and your actions, Moraine. She says, uh, Swan is losing her grip. Moraine does this one, on sanity or power? Whew, thought that was, that was interesting. I think she's really covering, really covering her tracks here by, by questioning Swan Sanjay. A green spoke on behalf of a red today and so did you. The whole world's gone mad. So apparently this idea that a, a green and a, and a blue would just would step up and, and say, hey, like we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna help the red out here, especially in this like courtroom proceeding, is pretty strange. That does not yeah. happen very often. She then mentions how ships are missing on the West Coast. I think that's a big fucking deal. They just kind of threw that in. I, I, I want more on that later. Aeels have been spotted this side of the spine. That's redheads, right? Yep. We got redheads. That's a problem. Invasion yep. of the redheads. Um, Trollocs uh, invaded the two rivers and an ice and ice sank the Torrin Ferry. Okay, so she knew, knew that, <laughs> that Moraine did the little ferry sinking thing. Uh, Moraine seems pretty impressed with her data gathering. Uh, she's pretty impressed that she knew all that shit. She didn't ask how the truth. This is what blues do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, uh, the, the leader of the blues, McGain, she asked how the Trollocs reached the two rivers undetected. Uh, she says it's not just the Amarillan who is wondering what Moraine is doing. Uh, Moraine fires back, well, pff, fuck, I brought in the most powerful channeler in living memory, for one. Uh, McGain, hate her all you want, but Swan Sanche was once a blue. So, Moraine really covering her tracks here. Because McGain thinks that, not just that Moraine might be colluding with Swan Sanche, mm -hmm. she thinks she hates her. Pretty yeah. solid. Pretty they solid. Have, me, me thinks thou dost protest too much. They've done a, a good little piece of community theater here. Um, yeah. Uh, she says, we all owe her our, our allegiance. She then says she'll intervene with Swan. I'm, I'll talk to Swan about you. All right, Moraine? I, don't worry about <laughs> it. I'll handle it. I hear she's busy tonight. Not quite sure what she's doing. But after that, maybe I'll get a, a touch with her and, and try to help you out. Make her see a reason and your value to everyone, Moraine. Your value to us. You're very valuable. She then says she needs Moraine in the tower permanently. So, retrograde, say what? And with that, McGain uh, needs to go see the missing ship. So basically, I'm going to need you here. Maybe you can lead the blues for a little while. I'm going to go out on the road and I'm going to figure out this missing ship situation. I think a couple things going on there. One is, I don't think she really trusts Moraine on the road anymore. I think there's a lack of trust there. Mm -hmm. And she wants her in the tower. And two, I do think these mission, missing ships thing is a pretty big fucking deal. Like, I think they're going to have to figure that out. You can't just have ships going missing all left and right. Yeah. I, um, and go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I love, um, I love these scenes like this where just in casual conversation, we also, like, to Brie, your point, what you've been saying about these cold openings, where we get this continued, like, opening up of the world, where we get these little details about other stuff that's going on at the edges of our knowledge, right? That the yes. story we're getting mm -hmm. is not the whole story. Um, and yep. I, I really like the way um, that, they are, that they're doing that in the dialogue in the show. I think it's great. And I think it's actually really fun that they mentioned two things that are happening at basically opposite ends mm -hmm. of this area. Um, yep. So one in the West, and then you guys will find out, hopefully potentially that the spine is sort of the other side of this uh, area, mm -hmm. this landmass. They really need to figure out a way to get the map to the casual 
um, yes. to figure out. Uh, you know, I don't know if they that's... have a map on the in the X. Yeah, I think well, it's in the X ray. And, and yeah, good luck yeah. finding it, it. But there it, is a map. There is a map. It, like it, it's not well put in there. Um, so I knew it was the in the X ray. Thing... That's why I said for the casual. So I didn't yeah, need to figure yeah, out exactly. a way to like, yeah. leave it into the show if they can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that they're trying to do that by saying like this is in the east, this is in the west, you know, trying to place things in there because otherwise they have to spend a lot of time in the map. And, you know, to the credit of uh, Game of Thrones, that they had that in the intro, yeah, that was I killer. think was super yeah. helpful oh, yeah. for the casual and that they're not doing that. I think that there are good reasons because otherwise the comparisons It'd might... would be like, oh, it's you know, just Game of Thrones. Exactly. So, you know, I, I 100% <laughs> agree with you that they probably need to do a bit more there. Yeah. Um, I did want to mention that... Um, we we get maybe one of the reasons that that Megan doesn't uh, trust Moraine because Moraine is probably supposed to be basically a direct report to Megan and that hundred percent not and she's just like I don't like I'm doing my own thing and and probably you know as much as Ace and I are generally given free reign Moraine has taken that and gone to the extreme I, like I don't need to tell anybody anything. And I think that the uh, talking about Terra and Ferry and those things were kind of like, we're taking care of your ship because like you're one of us, but you're, you're off reservation and you've been off reservation and no one's okay with this. Yeah, I completely get it. Uh, Bree, do you have something? I was just going to say that's probably particularly grating for the blues, given that, you know, they are heavily reliant on their eyes and ears and, and they like to know what's going on in the world. And so for the head probably of the blue to not know what one of her members is doing is very irritating. Yeah, absolutely. It's almost a challenge to her power within that uh, the, the sect of the blues, right? So a lot exactly. going on here. And then Moraine seems to get what I would, I'm going to call a Tarvalon text message um, with this little feather. You're not wrong. Yeah, yeah. about like that. And uh, Megane says, again, more secrets. Uh, cut to Moraine, who is... Maureen doing a lot of West Wing power walking this episode. You know, like the walk and talk West Wing thing. She's doing a lot of that. Shoulders moving. Mm-hmm. A lot of power walking. <laughs> um, how long have they been here? She snapped. Uh, she, uh, she's talking to Lan. She says, uh, he says, doesn't know. Um, no, no, no. She's not talking to Lan. She's talking to, to like a helper, somebody else. Uh, it's an unnamed. Another eye yeah, yeah, a yellow sister. Yeah. So she's in yellow. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And she says, um, just know. But I gave you the message as soon as I saw them. Marine then walks in and sees a Gween and Perrin. How about that? Gang's all here. A Gween and Perrin in the White Tower. Um, or at least in Tarvalon. And Perrin is on a bed. He seems like tired or sick or something. And a Gween then asks about Rand and Matt. Very interesting line here from Moraine. I have people looking out for their arrival, and I have it on good authority that they're alive. Again, spot the lie. <laughs> Can't spot the there lie. There is no lie. Nope, but misleading. We have very good Absolutely misleading. Her own. 100% yeah. misleading. Egwene seems happy with that. Egwene touches, touches Perrin. Again, the, the, the Egwene Perrin touching count goes up and up and up. It's continuing to tick up. A lot very of touching. High. A lot of touching. Maureen brings up that they were taken by white cloaks. Hey, I heard you taken by white cloaks. Egwene, boy, feeling herself. I took something from them. She then pulls out the rings. I thought that was pretty cool that she took the rings. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can see that Moraine is genuinely affected by this two ways. One is how she takes the, the rings from her. It's a hand sandwich. She goes in with both hands, left and right, on top of the hands to get it. That's not a normal way of grabbing something. 
No. Um, so I, I thought it was interesting. And they focused on that, right? And then you can see it in Moraine's face. And of course it comes up later, it gets referenced. But I think that the fact that she took the rings and brought it back to the Aes Sedai show that Egwene does trust the Aes Sedai. Uh, and she likes yeah. them, right? And she's trying she's to... She's all in. She's trying to... Exactly. She's all in. She's, she's, she's a recruit. She's pri- also trying to be a teacher's pet a little bit. And sure. then uh, to your point with the two-handed grab, I think this was like to show reference to it. You know, th- this is a thing. This is a symbol in the world. Um, and, you know, something that, that we should take uh, away from that. Um, and you haven't mentioned it yet. I don't know if you're about to get there, but Egwene also says, and you don't have to worry about Valda, Harmony, her, her one of your sisters anymore. And she's just like, you, really? Like, you didn't see him die. Yeah. Like, uh, of all of the people, you know, if Nynaeve said that, I would expect, like, He'd be fucking dead. different Heads pieces of Valda to be in the tent. <laughs> Heads on yeah. spikes if Nynaeve said it. Yes. Yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's a little teacher's pettish. She's, she's boasting, right? Um, but, again, yeah. yeah, she didn't see him die. I don't think he's dead. I think we'll see him again later. Um, uh, Moraine looks at Perrin and says, uh, well, they, we have great healers here. Basically, our yellow, the yellow um, Ajas are great healers. And mm-hmm. it will be like the damage never happened, Egwene on the outside at least. So she's saying, well, he is going to have some psychological issues from this, which, yeah, fair. Um, Egwene then says she's worried about uh, him. When Valda was torturing him, his eyes went gold like a wolf. <laughs> you could see the, the swoop, the turn from Moraine. What did you say? Yep. Moraine immediately snaps to attention to what else happened. Egwene says, well, the wolves attacked the camp. It's like he wasn't afraid of him. It's like they listen to him. Moraine stops in the tracks. Do not tell anyone this. I don't know what the blue eyes, or the, I'm sorry, the yellow eyes and the wolf thing. I mean, I, I can compare it to Game of Thrones, like a war type deal. Maybe he's he's able to speak to the wolves somehow. I, I don't know. It's all conjecture for a casual right now. Here's the one thing we know for certain. It's a touchy subject because they don't give Moraine that sort of hyper reaction very often. And the fact that she gave it shows that this is very valuable information. This is this is Hermione and Harry Potter going, I don't know, Harry, I wouldn't tell anyone you're a parcel tongue, even in even in the wizard world. This is fucking strange. Yeah, you can talk to snakes. Yeah, you might not want to mention that yeah. to like anyone. Yeah. Um, I think that that's a pretty good comparison, but I will also say that one of Moraine's faults, and I know that I'm getting your hackles up okay. right now, Lee, but... One of her faults is she plays everything close to the chest. Like, if she doesn't have to tell people something, like, desperately have to tell them, she she doesn't. She just, you know. And so, you know, there probably are people that she can tell, but also it's it's Egwene. Egwene's going to, like, run and tell everybody anything that she knows because she is, you know, going back to uh, the, the... uh, Harry Potter references. She is Hermione and has an answer for the class and wants to show everybody how smart she is, no matter what problems that might cause. Damn. That, that, is, that is certainly true, but I will I will also, I do want to make the distinction that like Moraine's reaction in this moment was like at an 11, whereas oh, yeah. we have, yeah. we've had her tell people, hey, don't say this to anyone else before where she has done it with that sort of calm demeanor, um, you know, when they were about to come on the white cloaks in the forest. Like, there was a... It, it's right. just a different valence, I yeah. think. Happened. I'm going to tell you, right. they've done it and for casuals. Probably. Casuals know now. We know, yeah. whoa, that, yeah. that yellow yeah. eyes yeah. thing yeah. is important. That's a thing. So, right. so, but the other thing I will say is everybody from the Two Rivers has done something really dumb yes. after she told them not to. Sure. So she's probably kind of done with them. Like, it's not just a, okay, you need to not say anything. It's like... I've said this once. Now I, I'm asking you again. 
please don't fucking spill the beans. Yeah. Um, so, so I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah. So they are. Um, there, she says there are many in the city, including Aes Sedai. Important distinction here. Who would do harm if they knew uh, that he is a yellow-eyed? I'm gonna call him yellow-eyed for right now. Uh, this seems very important. Aguin then asks if Perrin is the dragon. Aguin basically like, does that mean he's a dragon? Does that mean he's a dragon? And Rain's like, look, there's a lot we don't know about the dragon report. What shape he will have, he or she will have, what powers they'll have. But for now, you need to rest. And she says, when I call you tomorrow, come and tell no one. I'm gonna call on you tomorrow. And when I do, come. Doesn't have to say much more than that to Aguin. Aguin's like, I'll be there. Bell's on, let's do this. Uh, cut to Marine getting ready for bed. But she puts on earrings. Who puts on earrings to go to bed, I wonder? That's strange. Uh, Anne drops her hair, uh, fiddling with her hair, trying to make it look nice. Why are you doing that before you go to bed? Very strange. In comes Lan, not pleased with Moraine in this conversation. No. You masked our bond? And she's like, look, it's been two years. I thought you needed the break. He's like, look, this place isn't safe. Everybody's watching you. And I cannot protect you if I can't feel you. Basically... The, the advantage I have over the people who want to do you harm is I can feel you. We have this connection. Don't fucking sever it, Moraine. Moraine's like, ah, you're right. Ah, you're right. Doesn't seem super, uh, like a very serious answer from Moraine. Lan mm -hmm. says, well, that's a first kind of thrown off tension here. Moraine says, there are enemies everywhere, and your priority needs to be protecting our friends from the two rivers. Now we finally have them back. And then she says, mm -hmm. good night, Lan. And Lan looks down. <sighs> Be back before dawn. Moraine, is that in order? Did it sound like a suggestion, motherfucker? <laughs> he is tired of her shit. Uh, I love yeah. Moraine. I do. She's my leader. I'm, I'm team Moraine. I'm in for Moraine. But, like, come the fuck on. She does. She really stresses Lan out, and I can totally see why. <laughs> can yeah. you imagine and, being her warrior? Oh, God, what a pain. Um, Something fishy going on. But, so, I will say that, again, we have... Lan, who's probably the closest person to her in the world, yep. and she's still not sharing. Yep. Not sharing even things that like probably don't matter in the long run, but that's just her MO. Absolutely. What do you think she isn't sharing here? Uh, what's going on in the tower and what her plans are? I think, I, no, I think what yeah, she's not. Well, knows what's yeah, going Lan on knows what's happening that night. No, but like, no, what she's not sharing is why she just up and severed the bond. She didn't give him a really good well. reason for that. That was a throwaway right. line. Of, well, you needed a break. That, I don't feel like that's a very good reason for why she severed that bond. I, you know, it, it seems to me as a casual, you guys disabuse me of this notion if it's wrong, that severing the bond is not something that people do a lot. Well, it's, well, it's not severing. It's well, that, yeah. Sorry, I'm sorry. I'm saying yeah. severing. Yeah. Masking the bond is something that, that doesn't seem to happen a lot. It seems like that. Why, why would you do that? That's the advantage you have with your warder. I don't understand why she would do that. She didn't seem to give so, an answer to that. I think this, it's really interesting that you read it that or watched it that way because my impression was that she masked it so that he doesn't feel what happens with her and Swan. And he knows that. But she but she did that earlier on. So she masked her bond before she went there. Yeah. And so, so she didn't forget. Yeah, I mean, like, I think she did it early. Like, I, I think that there are a couple of things to, to go with here. Because if she just did it at the right time, like, he might have... There are a lot of book things that they're trying to introduce, and I think masking the bond is one of them. And I think this yeah. was a way to do it, and also a a way to have it so like you know that she's keeping stuff from a lot of people. And so, I, Matt, yeah. So to to your point, Bree, if she said, "I'm gonna mask the bond right now. Uh, I'll 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 get it back online here in a couple hours after I'm done." 
we would all know exactly what that means, right? But it Fair seemed enough. to have happened yeah. before this trip to the tier or wherever they went um, yeah. over there for their honeymoon. So it, it, I don't know. It just seems to me that there is something that Moraine is holding back from Lan, and it seemed like there was more tension between the two of them in this episode or this this uh, sequence than I think I can remember in the show. Um, they're sniping at each other, right? and that, mm. that that doesn't seem like a good thing for a uh, an Aes Sedai and her warder. Or yeah. typical. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Land then, but Land does say he'll he'll stay uh, guard until she returns, and he does say give her my love. So this is a indication that he he likes Juan Sanchez too. Um, you know, he mm-hmm. um, Moraine then closes the TV over her mantle. Then uh, she starts <laughs> to use the one power uh, and reaches upward and brings her hand down, and the thing above the mantle starts to sparkle, and Moraine walks into a light. Here is something I didn't know about the one power. Is that, um, what's that? Flu powder? Is that what it is? <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> yep. Is yep. it flu powder? It's flu powder. She's thrown her flu powder into the fireplace and she has walked in and said, tear, wherever it is that they are. And she has gone know, to. Yeah, I didn't know the one power could like transport you to a different mm-hmm. place. And, you know, this is something that I think that the show. I'm sure that the book handles as well. I trust that it does. Something the show's going to have to get a handle on because it seems to me that, like, the point power can just do any fucking thing in the world and we don't have guardrails on it. If you're going to have magic in the world, you've got to have guardrails on it. And I I didn't see this thing coming. She can just, like, fuck off and go somewhere? Like, what? It seems completely all-powerful and so... Yeah. Hard for a casual to get their arms around what the one power is and isn't. Can I make... um... Right. One more Harry Potter comparison to ask a question, sure. and then I will stop doing that in, in this. But my my impression of the TV above the fireplace, is, as Leah's put it, is that it is not so much a, a just like opening out into the world. You can go anywhere. It is more like, I guess there is a flu powder comparison to be made because a you have to have. But it's... Oh, a port key is a good one. A port key is a good one. I was actually going to go later in the books and say it's more like the uh, disappearing cabinet that uh, Draco Malfoy finds and has to fix because it goes to one fixed point. Is my It's a channel, essentially. A channel is not the right word to use in this context, but it is a passageway from one fixed point, from this one like weird portrait TV thing to another weird portrait TV thing. Yep. So a couple of things. One, uh, and I guess they didn't do a good enough job, is that, uh, well, no, you get it later, which is the problem. Yeah, you do. Um, so it's unrelated. To there's a similar problem. one in Swan's uh, sitting room. Okay. Where she meets the girls later. Okay. And it's open in her right. sitting room. I see. And, yeah. and there's a picture of Tear in there. Okay. So like, it I, looks just like the cold open. Gotcha. Right. Okay. Um, and so I think the problem is that there are so many things that they need to introduce, and they're doing it slowly, and it can, and it is confusing. Um, but this is very much like, similar, I would say, to the port key, where these are, these are objects that are presumably going to be tied to the location, and so it's not the one power doing this per se, like, going anywhere. It's using this object called a terangriel to do so. And... Because I think that they don't want to hit people with, like, lots of world-specific terms without then explaining them. They're just sort of going with a, here's this thing, here's what it does, and we'll get more filling in later. Could it could it um, use the term here? I, I'm just going to say, because I, I think that the ability to transport yourself somewhere else seems to be an elite 
like a sort of magic skill. Like if you could do, if you could just snap your fingers and do that, you pretty much are all powerful, right? So yeah, they have to put guardrails around. This would have been one. I, I completely see what you're saying that they don't want to inundate you with a bunch of terms that they that people can't grasp. This might have been one to actually focus on though, to to make sure that people understood. Because I, I would I would I would venture to bet if you poll the audience, they probably think Marine can just snap her fingers and can do this anytime. And I would say that okay. it's like actually particularly problematic in this episode where we then have a lot of emphasis put on the ways, and you have to yes. break through the ways. And if you as a, if a casual viewer is thinking like, well, Moraine can just go anywhere, figure out how to open a portal into going anywhere. Why are they going? Why do they have to take whatever these ways are that we also don't really know a whole bunch about right now? Right, right. Having those no, that's fair. in the same Hopefully. episode is. It's difficult, I think. But it's it's yeah. a challenging watch. I'm going to say, and I, I'm, 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 we're criticizing here a little bit, but I will say that the show has introduced and is dealing with magic about as well as I've seen shows do. Yes. It's just a hard thing to deal with. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's very hard. And I think this, and you're right, this is the episode where I think they needed to be a little bit more explicit because we get another Terangriel later in the episode, mm-hmm. which is the Oath Rod. And Terangriel? that's kind yeah. yeah. So they're basically they are. So Terra Angriel are. I think this is not spoilery. Is they are objects that were made by the One Power, and they do one specific purpose. Like each of them has a purpose in the world. Some of them require the One Power. Some of them don't. Um, but they do one thing, and they do that thing very well. Yeah. Basically. So so it's like a magical can opener. Like it open <laughs> it opens cans it, or or whatever else. Um, and then the, there are two other. Way to it. It's like I a fucking can opener. An air fryer. <laughs> yeah, it's an air fryer. I mean, yeah, it's, it's an air fryer. It's, it's, it's those, those appliances in your fryer. kitchen that you think you're gonna use, you know, but it just eats up too much counter space. This is like Molly Weasley's clock, you know, that shows where everybody is. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Anything else? So on one use thing. Jump to the to the reveal. Let's do it. Cut to Moraine arriving in a bedroom. And is that Swan Sanchez music? That's right, ladies and gentlemen. That's the reveal. Is Moraine much more in control than we realized? Shout out, mm-hmm. my girl. <laughs> and so is Swan. Yes, so is Swan. I think that's a good point, Woo! too. Yeah. I love it. Um, so Swan says, what were you thinking? I'm on a nice edge here. The display you forced me into, uh, to force me to put on, is, is making everything we're trying to do much harder. Don't smile. Uh, this is where in my notes <laughs> I put in all caps. Sarah will, will, will validate. Oh shit! Moraine has an in with the Amarillo seat. Moraine is in control. Five exclamation points. Yeah, it's a five exclamation points and a lot of stray punctuation. So this is this is was pretty, real big news. I was pretty <laughs> hyped. I, you know, as a Moraine fan, you see this and you're like, fuck yeah, like because you think she's <laughs> like kinda, I knew she wasn't just yes, like you felt like before this you felt like she was really painted in a corner, and I'm like God, like maybe she doesn't really have things. She has things under control, folks. If you're worried about Moraine. Yeah. Settle down. She's all right. Um, she says, am I forgiven, mother? And Swan says, she hates it. I hate it when you call me that. Um, here's a great quote, potential line of the episode. So much for the Amarillan seat remaining neutral without favorites. I think it's an <laughs> extremely important line. They cut right to the heart of it there. Um, no life, uh, no love of one's own, nothing but the seat. Moraine says, when have we ever followed the rules? Uh, then they kiss. Oh, shit. So they're not just friends. They're lovers. And I, hello, friends. I think this explains her dynamic with Lan a little bit, right? We've talked about like 
it seems like the the warders and the Aes Sedai have no problem getting into a sexual relationship. I think we've firmly established on this podcast. Do not, I would not want the, the viewer to think of the uh, warder and the Aes Sedai get, going to a sexual place as like somehow in, elevating the relationship. It's mm-hmm. already elevated. This is just something yeah. else yeah. that they will do. Yeah. They already are close, right? But the fact that it seems like there's no way Moraine and Lane are doing this. And they, they're actually a little awkward with each other. Bang. Now we understand, right? Moraine's into women. Boom. Thank you. Um, I have to ask, though. Is Moraine in a sexual relationship with Swan Sanche in the book? So, in the yes. prequel, in, in New Spring, they are they are pillow friends. So, so, so it's not explicit. But it, it is. It is expli- it's, it's it's explicit as it was going to get. Heavily so implied. They, okay. they, people actually talk about this, that Robert Jordan was probably one of the first people in fantasy that had a fairly clear lesbian relationship as a commonality in the world. Mm-hmm. He just wasn't like, oh, and they banged all the time. It was a, like a, a side reference to, like, they... This was their relationship. This was like the sexual yeah. romantic relationship that they would have. Okay. Um, and so it is fairly obvious in there, but but not in your face. Okay, because I was really worried that the show took it there when the books didn't. Because if they did, that would be that would be a very bad sign to me about the book of the show, right? Mm-hmm. That this yeah. sexualized something that wasn't like it would be it would be unnecessary to do unless they pulled it from the books i think mm-hmm. um, but if they pulled it from the books great i'm, I'm feeling comfortable um, that they didn't yeah, just so like, throw in sexual it, you know for, for no reason right yeah uh, a technicality is you know by the time we meet them in the current run of books they're no longer explicitly said to have a, a pillow friends relationship um, but that being said like we don't see it not happen um, yeah. And it is definitely a thing in in the prequel when they're younger. Pillow friends. That's a. I don't, I don't know if I like that one. That, that's the book term. I know. And I know it's a book why, term. Yeah. But yeah. I, I don't know. Robert, Robert Jordan. I don't know if I like that one. Um, it feels a little juvenile. That was also a lot of interesting things yeah. that put in there. Yeah. So. Uh, Marine yeah. then notices new tattoos on Swan Sanche. Um, so it does two things, right? It, one, it knows that she knows her body, uh, right? Mm-hmm. They've done this before, right? This isn't a new thing. Mm-hmm. And two, it, it and which Swan Swan mentions, indicates how long Marine's been gone. Um, then we get the on your knees, which is a callback to earlier in the episode. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> cut to, uh, them being done with, uh, with that. And Maureen tells her that, uh, well, Hey, uh, did I mention I found the dragon? Uh, Swan's like, Whoa, uh, what the fuck? Uh, is <laughs> Way it to bury the lead. <laughs> is it naive? Maybe you should have led with yeah. that. And Maureen's like, well, it might be naive. It's one of the five from the two rivers, but Nynaeve doesn't really fit the age. It's complicated. I found five potential dragons in the same village, but one isn't the right age. Anyway, Nynaeve is too old, but how can we ignore her power? (laughs) That's what I'm pointing out on the dragon power rankings every week, Moraine. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Moraine then bemoans that the prophecies have been handed down over many centuries that have been translated hell. She heard from a gleam in the idea of a mini-headed dragon. Um, you know, this is this is a really interesting thing to throw in, right? This idea that there was prophecy, they believed the prophecy, however, it's been handed down and there's been unreliable narrators along the way. This is what we have in modern religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's absolutely a, a dynamic that exists in the world. So yep. one of the things that I want to point out, and I don't know where they're falling with this, um, Moraine never says that she knows or doesn't know who the dragon is. She... she is obfuscating the entire time with everybody. And I'm pretty sure she never comes out and says, 
I don't know who the dragon is. Uh-oh. I... Uh-oh. So, so just a, a thing Uh-oh. to, like, pay attention she to. She has some she ideas. Is, she is so, like, she is so careful. Like, just pay attention to what she says. Ooh. Because she, I, I think we know, we think that she knows that Matt and Perrin aren't. You just delivered a bit of a bomb for me there, BJ. Because what, 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 what the insinuation is, like, look, listener, don't don't ignore what BJ just said. The insinuation is that Moraine knows who the dragon is, and she's not telling because yeah. she's being she's doing the thing that mm-hmm. the Aes Sedai do, which is being technically being truthful but being misleading. And BJ's pointing out, like, well, every time she gets asked who's the dragon, she doesn't say, "I don't know who the dragon is." Therefore, she's she just might like, "Well, well there are these people." Yeah, and but but what I, I guess what I'm saying is like I don't know where they're going with how knowledgeable Moraine is about the dragon. No idea, but I'm. What I wanted to point out specifically is that she's not telling Swan anything about what she does know, like about Matt or Perrin. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so you said she knows that Perrin's not the dragon. How does she know that? Um, she will. Well, we don't know that. Yeah, I guess we don't know that. But but she she knows something about his power, and then she was cagey about responding to Egwene. So we have indications that she knows one, she might know one way or the other yeah. about what that, a little bit more information. Cause I, I, because she obviously had a recognition of, of what that was. <laughs> as a little, as a little, as he slipped it in there. Um, uh, Swan says the last dragon was uh, one man. Did I catch that right? Mm-hmm. She said man. Yep. So the last dragon was a guy. Is that what I'm, I'm meant to believe here? I mean, yeah, we yeah. got that in, in one of the X-ray one of the shorts. shorts. I think in, in the, first, it's the one, first one, we got Luz Theron, who lost his mind. He was the dragon. And again, I, I think even the X-ray, they don't make that super obvious, but that's who that is, that the man that went... Absolutely uh, batshit insane. And, and broke the world. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah um, again, with the shorts, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about... Uh, that's a hard thing, right? Because I'm going to guess that the vast majority of our listeners haven't watched them and don't watch them. So we're going to talk. We can, we, I think we're doing the right thing by talking on both sides of it. Like, if you do, didn't watch the, the short, it might be a bit of a reveal that the last dragon was a man. If you did, then boom, what BJ just said. Um, she then questions, why would the wheel split the dragon's soul into many? So the idea of a multi-headed dragon is splitting the dragon's soul into multiple people. Um, what if uh, the vision was wrong? Uh, Swan Sanche uh, uh, then says uh, that they were there, we heard, and we were the only ones who did. I think that that's really important. That what she's saying is that um, there was this person, a Guitara or something, uh, mm-hmm. who, Guitar. yeah, who had a vision, I guess some sort of prophecy or something about the dragon. Basically, the dragon's being born right now, I guess it was like 20 years ago. And only Swan Sanche and our girl Moraine were there. I, I assume Swan and Sunshine was maybe a blue back then, right? And they were—they both heard it. And now they're on this mission together because they know that the dragon was born 20 years ago and they're off to fight it. That's the implication I have. Um, yes, you're, you're making some assumptions that might not be true, but I think that they're all reasonable things. Okay, so the assumptions I'm making are okay, that she I wasn't, say. that she was a blue back then and she wasn't. She wasn't the Amberlynn seat back then. That was an assumption I was making. But the, she yeah. does say we were the only ones who did. So the right. I don't think it's assumption to say that they are the only mm-hmm. two that heard the prophecy, and therefore that's right. why they're sort of <laughs> yes. in bed together with it, right? 
Um, okay, who's making jokes now? I, I couldn't, couldn't help. It was the, I actually was leading up to it. Uh, Maureen then <laughs> says um, she's searching for the dragon for 20 years, and she loves less now than she did then. Swan is like basically like, I, I think this is, you're just tired, basically. Um, what if we brought the other sisters in? Tell them what we're trying to do. This is Moraine. Uh, Moraine is positing that they tell the other sisters that they're looking for the dragon. Um, Swan then says, well, we gotta, like, never, ever fucking do that. Like, ever. Um, if the other sisters find out what we're doing, we're gonna be stilled, which is gentled for women. So this would be disconnected yep. from the one power. Question back to uh, the book people. Um, are, really? That, like, so they would still the Amarillan Sea? Like, it seems to me that if that's true, that if, if it got out that uh, Swan Sanche was working with Moraine, and if that would automatically snap means stilling then i'm not quite sure how powerful the fucking hammerland seed is to begin with like that that question that undercuts her entire power to me because it seems like as soon as she does something they don't like they're just gonna cut her off from the one power that seems fucking nuts to me so that is what they are at least saying that, in this episode. that's what they're saying but also well, okay so what does finding the dragon reborn mean uh i mean it, it means well, yeah, I mean, it's a great point, right? Because it means then you're flipping the coin. Then it, then it could be the dragon's going to help destroy the Dark One, or it will work with the Dark One, destroy the world, uh, you know, gnashing of teeth, trollics everywhere. Moraine talks about that later in the episode. Well, and they don't... The other thing that Swan and Moraine don't talk about is what their plan for the dragon might be. Right. Because the other thing is, like, their plan for the dragon may not be what all of the other sisters in the tower would want. And that they're not letting anybody in on this. Like, this is probably the most important thing to happen in the last 3,000 years. Just the idea that they would just snap to stilling her, her being the Amarillan Sea. Stilling Moraine is one thing. Stilling your leader, that that introduces a different dynamic to their organization. There might be some processes that they go through, you know, judicial processes before that happened. Yeah, yeah maybe. They, they, I don't think they would just jump directly to that. But the, the other side of it is the last man, the last dragon was a man, Chanelay. So that's maybe a, the thing that they're, an assumption that they might, that the other Aesodai might make. Um, as to like what's going on and so it's basically wielding an atomic bomb and they're not telling anybody about it. And the fact that he was a man is incredibly problematic because we know that the Reds are going around still and gentling all the men. Yeah. So who who the fuck knows if they've already gentled Dragon or not? Yeah, this Um, goes back to that conversation in the last episode or two episodes ago or whatever it was about like, well, what happens if... Yeah. Well, and so what if it is a man? So what, what if it's not Egwene? And then... They're basically going against thousands of years. You know, if, if the, the dragon was reborn as a man, they're going against thousands of years of Aes policy and being like, no, 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 not this time. We're going to change our entire philosophy for the past 3,000 years because of what the two of us have decided to do. I think Loghain was the dragon. They <laughs> fucked it all up. Story's over. Um, Maureen, well, say something, Swan. I will when your spikes retract. Swan smiles, you little puffer fish. There's a little, little uh, flirting there. Maureen laughs, then says, we well, can't get away with that all the time. Hi, y'all. Uh, Swan uh, then comes over to sit with her. 
potential line of the episode here. If it's one dragon or five, man or woman, the heart of every prophecy is the same. The dragon will either defeat the Dark One or join them. Moraine, I'll kill them myself before I let him have them. So is Moraine keeping your cards close to her chest? Yes. Is that sometimes a personality defect of her? I, I think so. Um, but we do get here in, in probably the most intimate moment we've ever seen Moraine, um, that she feels a, um, a need to protect these people. The, 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 the Two Rivers Five, she says, I'll kill them before I let him have them. Um, is that protection? Absolutely, though? yeah. I mean, she's gonna, she's like, she's going to stop. Like, I mean, I, I mean, it seems like going to the dark one or whatever is like the worst possible thing. And so, for her saying, like, I, I, I will never let that happen to them. Dana didn't think it was the worst possible thing, but I, I, I think that who didn't that think she's it was the worst riding, possible thing? Dana, the the dark friend in episode. That's because she's three? a fucking yeah. stormtrooper. She's bad. <laughs> we sure, we dismiss but, that. We dismiss her. Okay. <laughs> Um, so what I would say is like, she's balancing on this weird, this razor's edge. And I think this gets back to the, you know, what are the other Aes Sedai going to think of protecting the world and protecting these people? And like, how do you navigate that, that path of somebody that's super powerful, that has the ability to not only go over to the dark side, but also break the world, even if they don't. Yeah. Maureen then asks Swan, uh, what she's telling her, Swan explains that, uh, I've been having the same dream, basically. Dark One at the Eye of the World. Boom. Quote, mm-hmm. Eye of the World. Name of the first book. Uh, he's yep. weak, barely clinging to his power. Oh, Voldemort situation. Yeah. A lot of Harry Potter this episode. Way more than Game of Thrones, <laughs> so shout out to me. Um, but getting stronger every day. Swan says, we can kill him now, but we got to go to him. With the five that we have, Maureen's like, well, that's going to kill the other ones that aren't the dragon. So by saying that, I think she does tip her hand to say that she doesn't think all five are the dragon. She doesn't think it's been split into five because she does say whoever it's not is going to die. That would be a nonsensical thing to say if she thinks it's all five of them. Yeah. I think we get here that she's pretty sure it's one of yeah. them and she... Yes. Yeah. Um, Swan, maybe, maybe not. That's important later. Maureen says that whoever becomes the dragon, quote, whoever comes between the dragon and the dark one will die. You know that. Marine then says that when Swan sentences her the next day, you're going to have to exile me. Um, going to need to exile me. Uh, McGain's orders her to stay in the tower. Swan says, well, I thought we'd have more time. She says, well, we will eventually. This life or the next, I'm going to go ahead and stake my claim. I don't think they're going to get a lot more, what, pillow friend? Is that what the thing? Uh, I don't think yeah. they're getting much more pillow friend time. I love Moraine. I think she's a doomed character. I think she will eventually die in this story because she's just leading with her chin. And you eventually get knocked out when you lead with your chin. Moraine then goes to sleep. Cut to the next day. Moraine and Lan walking in the tower. I fucking love this scene. Holy <laughs> shit do I love this scene. Lan says, uh, I put him in your bedroom. Moraine asks about Matt. Lan, recovered enough to be drowning himself in morning ale. So Matt feeling good, getting a day drunk on. As they turn the corner, they hear from behind Matt Cotton. Is that his name? Yes. Same boy you visited at the Light's Blessing yesterday. Strange how he and his companion, is it Ran? Are also from the Two Towers, along with the strangers nursed back to health by our yellow sisters. All friends of Naive, perhaps? I'm sure the Amberlin would love to understand that connection. So, this is Leandrin saying, I know about all of the, the Two Rivers Five, and I know that you're protecting them and te- caring for them. And I'm going to put this out there. I'm going to bring this to light. Possibly, like, just out in the open, right? The same mm-hmm. form that we saw earlier in the episode. That would be fucking disastrous. So what does our girl Maureen do? 
It's the break glass in case of emergency type of gossip situation. It's the it's the uh, Logan Roy, hey Kendall, you killed a kid in season one situation. <laughs> it's uh, I have to grab this in case of emergencies, and she says, um, I know about the man you meet in North Harbor. Walk away, never mention this again, or I will tell your red sisters where we where he lives. We both know what they'll do to him. Holy fucking shit! So. Maureen, this entire time, has had this thing that she could hold over Leandra. She was waiting for the right possible moment. Sarah, as we were watching the episode, I think correctly pointed out that Maureen was in a, I just don't have fucking time for this right now. You cannot screw this up. So I'm going to play this ace up my sleeve. I also find it fucking hilarious that Leandra has a guy suitor, that she's got some guy (laughs) that she goes to. It makes that conversation that she had with Nynaeve all the more interesting, right? When Nynaeve was like, oh, all you hate men. And she's like, well, you hate all men, I think is what Nynaeve said. And and Leandra was like, well, maybe some of my red sisters, perhaps. She wasn't lying, right? She doesn't hate all men. She's got one man in North Harbor that she likes. So I thought it was a fascinating scene. What'd you guys think? I totally agree. I think it was great. Yeah, the the one thing that I, and Lee, you sort of pointed this out, but I, what I loved about it was Moraine's immediate like I don't have I don't have fucking time for this I'm not there was no lead up there was no discussion before she just went this is what I know about you fuck off um, yeah and that she pulled immediate, a knife on Leander yeah that no that, that this this was making. yeah this was Indiana Jones mm-hmm. this was you know the 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 dude whips out his scimitar and is going back and forth and is just like all right we're gonna like go back and forth. Because I think Leandrin expects Moraine to have a response. Moraine pulls out a gun, shoots her, and just walks away. Yes. You know, th- th- this <laughs> yeah. is this was, you, you did not bring enough to this back and forth. We're done now. Yeah, absolutely. Do you want me to destroy you? Because I will. Yeah. Did you, did you have more there? Did you, you were good? Um, okay. Well, I, I thought it was a fucking phenomenal scene. Um, I thought it showed, I think this entire episode is showing that you know, Moraine is much more in control of all these events than we realize. And she might mm-hmm. she might be like the ultimate, like, puppet master here because she, to even have this over Leandrin, you know, she was being warned by everybody and their fucking mother, oh, Leandrin's gaining power. She's so powerful. You should be scared of her. If I'm Moraine, I'm thinking, I'm so scared of the bitch. I got this thing. I can handle her, right? So, again, mm-hmm. Moraine, absolutely foot on the pedal and, and in control. Marine walks out onto a balcony and there is your favorite character. <laughs> Loyal. Loyal. <laughs> Glory to the builders, you honor me. I am Marine Sedai. So she, one thing I think this episode does a good job of showing is that uh, there's a cust- there's like customs with the O'Gears, right? Mm-hmm. They, they expect you to talk a certain way to them and Moraine at least tr- gives credence to it. I'm not sure she mm-hmm. follows it all, right? Because she does kind of <laughs> cut him off at one point. It's like, we got to hurry. But, she does give lip service to this whole th- thing. That the I also like do. that she got intel from Lan on the way in, where she asked about how he was, and then was just like, "Well, he's upbeat." Yeah, well, Lan, so Lan got his <laughs> yeah. Upbeat. yeah. Um, so I think one of the things that is really interesting is Moraine's pretty good about this throughout the entire season of uh, so far, and I think this will continue that she knows customs and mm-hmm. abides by them or doesn't. For very particular reasons. She's very good at She's that. worldly. Yes. Mm-hmm. She's she's worldly and she's sensitive to other cultures. These are the things you want in a leader, folks. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I will... She knows how to play the game. She knows how to play the game. 
I will say we've talked a lot about like this. This is a very Moraine centric episode, right? But mm-hmm. we are like actually just following her around this entire episode, and this scene. Um, more than any other, her kind of walking onto this balcony with Lan opening the door for her impressed upon me that, like, this episode is actually just a sort of, like, Tarvalon episode of The West Wing, where we are just oh, yeah. doing hallway shots of her getting shit done. We are, like, following Josh Lyman around through the hallway no, no, as he is, takes meeting after meeting. Oh, no, this is definitely um, a CJ. Liam a CJ, yeah. yeah. CJ. <laughs> CJ? Who's, like, oh, yeah, well, like, okay. like, somebody, like, one of the press corps yes. is like, yeah, hey, yeah, I got this thing, and she's like, hey, uh, why don't you tell me how many fucking people are in Congress? Like, that sort of thing. Um, Amazing. I, I thought Moraine killing it this episode. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, she's the glory to the builders. Uh, she introduces, uh, uh, Loyal introduces himself. Loyal, son of Ogre, son of blah, blah, son of blah, 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 blah. He'd probably go on for another 10 so minutes. So he's actually in the credits. We noticed during, um, while we were watching, he's actually in the credits as Loyal, son of Arendt, son of Palon. <laughs> I was like, that's I love like that. if you pause it that's in the great. X-ray, it's really funny. That's pretty funny. Yeah. Um, we also he was surprised at how he was being pushed to respond quickly, but she says, "Oh, that's a flaw of our people." The, again, coming up right that us humans we just cannot relax. She says the wheel has presented them with a problem, but perhaps a way to surmount it. Uh, says she needs a way with the capital W. Yes. Mm-hmm. Says she needs his help. Cut to Moraine in the I'm gonna call it the throne room, Amarillo's seat room, whatever. <laughs> She's got a Gwen there. Um, is that? Moraine says, yeah, the chair's the Hamerlin seat. Egwene, speaking for all of the audience, says, isn't that confusing to have the seat and the leader called the same thing? Yeah, it is. It is really weird. It's strange. <laughs> Moraine says, well, you can ask her when you see her. The Hamerlin has requested an audience with you, but she's got someone to meet you first. In comes Land and Nynaeve. Loved this. Made me laugh from jump. <laughs> because as Nynaeve is walking in, she's bitching to Land about something. You notice she like she's like halfway through a complaint. She's like, how can you call yourself a leader as she's walking in? To, like, God knows what she's talking about, but she's complaining. She looks up and sees Egwene. They hug. Hey, reunion moment. That's good. Um, Egwene says, I thought you were dead. So did the drawlic that took me. Hardy heart, right? They're, they're, they're doing well. They're happy to see each other. Moraine says, they'll have time to catch up later, but now they have to meet with the Amarillo. Nynaeve, let her wait. Moraine, Swansanche waits for only one woman. And it ain't you. you. <laughs> it's me. It's me, Moraine. She waits for me. Um, they walk in to see Swan, and Swan tells Egwene, Yes, I'm the Amarillo, but for this meeting, you can call me by my name, Swan Sanjay. Nynaeve and Egwene walk in. Um, Nynaeve seems pissed the whole time, right? Um, Egwene seems interested, I think. Yeah. Egwene is, uh, to BJ's point. Power hungry. To, to be power hungry. Uh, Real excited. Ambitious. Uh, teacher's pet. Teacher's pet. Filling, yep. filling in. Um, all of the things that Nynaeve is not. Um, Swan addresses Nynaeve and says, I hear you are the most powerful channeler we've seen in a thousand years, Nynaeve Amira. This shocks Egwene. Uh, then Egwene addresses, um, uh, the, no, uh, sorry, the, the uh, Swan Sanchi address, addresses Egwene and calls her brave and comments about how she brought the rings home and she thanks her. Nynaeve, now that you're done blowing smoke up our asses, why don't you tell us what you want? I'll tell you, this Nynaeve is a bad hang. You can't even, <laughs> you can't even greet. This is just a standard greeting. You know what, Nynaeve, I'm being a fucking person here. I'm just talking, okay? Why don't you settle down? Um, my notes actually say, goddamn, Nynaeve can be a pain in the ass. Uh, Swan gets up and walks over to her. I know what it is to feel you deserve something different than what this life gives you. To wonder why you couldn't just stay home, love the people you love, grow old with them, support them, 
Threads weaving in and out of the pattern without consequence. But the truth is the two of you have been called to greatness. Interesting. The two of you. Mm -hmm. Really going to affect the dragon power rankings this scene. <laughs> two of you have been called to greatness. The fate of all of us rests on you now, on the decision to, that you make in the coming days and the strength you find within. Nynaeve goes to leave, but I thought this was very fascinating. Swan holds up one finger. And when she does, Nynaeve, with all her bluster, stops in her tracks. So one finger, you, you know, Nynaeve is talking. She's talking, ah, fuck you, I don't care, blah, blah, blah. But as soon as that one finger goes up, she stops and listens. Yep. Yep. The wheel does not care if you, this potential line of the episode, the wheel does not care if you are young or, or, or aged, petty or weak. It certainly doesn't care what you want. The wheel um, calls you to this, whether you can bear it or not. The last battle is coming. What any of us wants now, it's meaningless. The only thing that matters is what you do. And Wayne was like, well, teacher, what do I need to do? <laughs> Cut to uh, Marine. Uh, anything about that's a very important scene. I'm gonna pause there. What what do we want to talk about with the scene of uh, Nynaeve and Aguin meeting Swan Sanche and Swan Sanche, I think, tipping the cards a little bit and saying, You two are the most powerful. Mm -hmm. You two are the ones with consequence here. Yeah. Um I mean, so I think the biggest thing that I loved in this uh interaction was Egwene a hundred percent thought that she was the most powerful of that little, duo. Yep. Like she was like, "Oh, look at me! I'm so special!" And then completely deflated. Yeah, a little bit like, "What, Nynaeve? You're okay." And well, I did something. Yeah, that's also such a like. It's a smart um, sort of moment to have in there too, because it reminds us as viewers like how much has happened around each of them that they don't. And I mean, all of our five, how much has happened yeah. around each of them that they don't have access to that we do as viewers. Like, that's a really smart reminder right now as they're about to all start meeting up again. Um, because right. I think it's kind of easy to, to lose that when we've spent so much time with them. My favorite yeah. thing about um, this scene, which I think is is so great, is I like I have become a real like Swan Sanche fan in this episode. Um, oh, and I too. I... She shows real compassion here. Um, like, I do not think that she is putting on any sort of front when she is talking to Nynaeve and Egwene about how difficult it is to have to step into your own power um, and, and really deal with that in, in ways that don't care about your feelings. Um, and I think that while Nynaeve blew her off in a lot of ways, I think that that's a thought that's going to fester. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I think that the, what we saw from her in the cold opening and her sort of backstory, coupled with this moment of her explaining um, just how m miserable it can be to come to this realization that there are things bigger than you and what you want in this world, um, was really well done. And I really appreciated that from her. 100% agree. I think, I think she's also talking to the audience about Moraine yes. a bit, too. Mm -hmm. Um, and so this is a, I've given up a lot of things. I've given up a lot of things and, you know, having that out in the open yeah. where like, we know this is what they'd want, but like, this is an explanation of, they understand that this is something that they probably can't have mm -hmm. oh, and reinforcing sort of the conversation that they had in that little hut place. So the thing that I liked about this scene is I loved how, just very fleshed out Swan's quarters were. Like there were books, there were stacks of things on tables, there were the candles, there were 
little ornaments and and just like it felt very live, lived in it was very different from Moraine's mm-hmm. quarters I'm, I'm like my girl Moraine with the perfect these are like my quarters it's a really good point for you that the, 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 the sets they've done a great job with um, you know and, and that is where I, I boop, ding, would go up with the Game of Thrones count right that Game of Thrones did a good job of that because a lot of times you would see um, shots of like the 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 king's hands quarters, right? When with like in season one, when Ned was there, and there was just scrolls everywhere, half lit mm-hmm. candles, and just shit everywhere. Like like it looks like he's living there. So it's a it's a really good point. Um, so uh, and this go ahead. this is also where we see the um, picture above the fireplace or whatever on the mantle. Yes, with tear that's open during that scene. Yep. Yeah, the same, basically the same structure that we had in Moraine's. Uh, She's got a TV too. Cut to Moraine mm-hmm. standing outside yeah, on a balcony and Land walks up to her. It's time. I'll stand in the hall if you want. Moraine's like, I'll be all right, but thank you. I, I tend to think she would be all right. I think she's <laughs> kind of got this handled. Um, you know, this is like uh, this is like uh, like a mob boss. You know, like mm-hmm. going. This is like uh, like what's the name from The Godfather, uh, the, the the original Don. Like right, you know, like Michael. Uh, no, the the first one, Don Corleone. Um, yeah. Whenever, like you know, like. He would get involved with the police. He'd be like, "Heh, it's cool." Like, you know, he kind of puppet mastering a little bit. Um, where am I? Uh, Back to the hall of the tower. Sorry, I lost my. Well, she Marine, tells yeah. Lan. Yep. Go ahead. Just make sure that they're there, yep. which clearly means our two brothers five. Yep. So again, kind of like similar to what she was saying before, which was, you know, you really need to be concentrated on the. The five from the two rivers right now. Not necessarily me. I got this under control. Marine looks very contemplative before she goes in the great hall. Smash cut to the hall. Marine is on her knees. Amarlin calls her to her feet. Marine goes up and kisses the ring. She says she's made her judgment. She beans once on tree. For you, Marine, your disobedience and intractability, you are hereby exiled. <laughs> this causes a stir in the crowd. Moraine fakes some pain. Uh, wow, this sucks. Damn it, really wish you hadn't given me that. But there's another thing here. Um, and this seems important. She says, in order for me to make sure you're going to abide by this, you got to swear to the sacred rod. There's a sacred rod. Something I learned. Uh, oath rod. Earth rod? Oath rod. Oath. Oath rod. Oath rod. Okay, it's the oath rod. So, so I think that they're... Maybe not thinking that their audience is paying more attention than maybe they are, but this is uh, related to the three oaths that we have earlier on when Moraine is talking to Egwene about the words matter uh, that, that we talked about. The three oaths, you know, not harming anybody with the one power, not making a weapon with the one power, and, and telling no lie. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those are the- uh, so you made a comment there like are they assuming the audience is paying more I think the way to do it and it's what they're doing which is throw all the complicated in do it that's great because there are going to be people who watch it like we're watching it who will pick it up right but also uh, give enough of a streamlined straightforward story for the Mm -hmm. casual and I think this I think they are doing it there are a couple things I'll point out here and there where I think the casual is going to get confused but I I like here's here's the big tell for me for this show is I told my mom to watch it is my mom going to notice the three oaths from three episodes? Hell no. She's not. But she still will be entertained. Yeah. Right? So I think you do both. And that's what the show's doing. Yeah. yeah. You're not going to lose the thread of the show if you don't make all of these connections. Right. Like, it's fine. Yeah. And she'll be like, clearly there is some magic going on and she's not going to be able to break this. 
Yep. Yes. Yeah, Moraine puts her hand on the rod and um, pinky pinky swear situation. They're making an unbreakable vow. Um, yeah, unbreakable vow. Pinky swear. Uh, <laughs> the Amberlin then takes the oath uh, and uh, I guess now she has to abide by it. Or darkness will consume her soul for all eternity, hereby and forevermore. Um, go ahead, BJ. Did you pay attention to what she said? Yeah, I did. Because um, basically when... Uh, so she gets the, the Amarlin says, "Here's all your oath you need to say, right?" And um, my girl Moraine, she starts to do it, but she gets silent a little bit. It's a little only me and you can hear situation, and she swears the oath to Swan Sanche, daughter of the river, clever as a pike, strong as the tide. Uh, Not yeah. to the Amarlin seed. Exactly. Exactly. So she swears it to Swan Sanche, but she uses the same language that her Swan Sanche's yeah. father gave her at the beginning of the episode. Yeah. And it elicits strong emotions from both of them. They start crying. Um, Moraine uh, then gets loud again and says, Or my creator's face turn from me and the darkness consume my soul. So they both have tears on their face and the oath is made. We get some great fantasy music in the background. Oh, like, you know, that sort of like chanting thing that's going back and forth. Uh, really awesome. And... Um, I can tell when I do the singing, Brie loves it. You know, we were doing. <laughs> I wish we could record this because every time I saw, she just cringes. But it's uh, that yeah, it's what it is though. It's like a chanting. Oh, thing it's, going it's on. just great. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, maybe I'll just like pause and do like twenty seconds of singing. Would you like that, Brie? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Anyway, uh, then it is the oath's done. Bang, it's done. Marine gets up and leaves, and as she does, all the sisters turn their back on her. So. Great scene here because it plays out exactly like Moraine and Swan Sanche were talking about mm-hmm. in the, the dream book, mm-hmm. right? But it does seem like there's some skin in this, right? There's some skin in the game for Moraine. And this is where I really want to stop and, and, and have a conversation about what the fuck this exile really means. Like, is she and I... Here's my questions to everybody. I'm going to throw them all at you, see what sticks, what you want to answer. Because these are the things that just sort of came to me as I was watching this. Is she and I said mm-hmm. I still... Can she interact with the other Aes Sedai at all in her exile? What if she needs their help? Can she call upon them? Or what if she, as a blue, has information that she thinks that they will need? Can Does she have a channel to give that back to them? These are all the things I was wondering as she was walking out of the throne room. So I think it's important here to listen exactly to the words of the oath, which is that she can't come back. I'm, I'm pretty sure, and, and you have the probably the words in front of you, but she can't come back to the tower Unless Juan Sanche yes. calls her back, not the Amberlin Sea. So that, Juan Sanche calls her back, yeah. right. right? So that doesn't, but that doesn't prevent her. She's still an Aes Sedai. She can still talk to other Aes Sedai. She can do all the things that essentially she was doing before. She just can't come back to the tower without this specific person saying she can. That makes sense to and, me. But the confusing part is them turning her, their back on her because then that 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 indicated to me as a casual that she was cut off from them. I mean, I think there's some custom to yeah. it, right? Like, exile is a big deal. Um, and I think that this is sort of a... She might be cut off from some of the resources of the tower. Um, and something that I might be a very minor spoiler, but there's a library at Tarvalon like, that they do research in. She's not going to be able to do that. You know, th- this is a... I would say, basically, the University of the Aesodai. And so she can't go there... To like do the things that most Ace the Die do, but she's you know out in the field. She's still allowed to go out in the field and do the stuff that she does. It, this is it, Hermione saying, or worse, <laughs> expelled. Yeah, this so, this. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say that I think that this is really helpful background because like it. What is a little bit confusing about 
this scene and about kind of what exile is, is that, you know, there is the idea of exile, which Swan Sanchez sort of put forward as Maureen's punishment at the beginning of this. But then there are the parameters that they swear this oath by. And it is not clear to me when watching it that those are specifically the same things, right? It seems like there is possibly other stuff encompassed in the idea of exile that is not just the, because real, really what the oath does is it sets the limit for when the exile ends. It doesn't tell right. us what exile is. And that gets a little confusing, especially to your point, Lee, when they're turning the, their backs on her. Now, my, my point, fair. the reason I was sort of, when we were having this conversation while wa watching it, the one of those questions I was sure about was that she still is an Aes Sedai because she still has her ring. Like that was what, mm -hmm. it was not out of the realm of possibility for me that exile meant, hey, you're not actually a member anymore, but yeah. because she still had her ring, I was like, okay, well that, this is the one question I have the answer so to. So it seemed to me that what, during the course of this conversation, it seems like maybe what they were trying to do is show, um, you know, just some levity to the action by the back turning. But when Alana, with tears in her eyes, turns her back on, on Moraine, that signaled to me that she did not want to turn her back on Moraine, but she had to. And if, if that's the case, then it would seem like she can't talk to her anymore. That's, that's, the, that's what it's signaling to me. And so it's very confusing. And I, I think, um, I, I, absent this conversation, I would have thought that she, yes, still an Aes Sedai, yes, has, still has the ring, Yes, maybe you can still talk to Swan Sanche maybe through their little like portal thing, but seemed like she now cannot talk to them. Like why else would Alana have to turn her back on her? Like if she can't speak to her. Like that that's what that signals. Yeah. And I mean I think we're supposed to get that this is very ritualistic, but that it's not super clear from how it's shot. And so I don't know where they're going to take mm -hmm. this. Yeah, yeah. I don't either. Yeah. Okay. Um all right, anything else on that? Nope. Cut to Moraine on horseback leaving the city, and at this point I was freaking out that Lan was not with her. Uh, we get a montage of Moraine riding her horse. Uh, Bree, solid horse, right? That's a, that's a... Yeah, and so the other thing, because we, I have some comments on this scene coming up, um, but one of them, a positive one, is that Moraine, well, the actors, actress, so Rosamund Pike has clearly spent some time on horseback, um, because a lot of these shots were actually of her riding this horse, and she looks comfortable in the saddle. Oh, sure. She really so, does, yeah. You she know, looks, she looks props good. Props to her. Like, yeah. this was well done. And it looks like a like a, just a big, beautiful horse. Like, that's a striking, yeah, it's a nice horse. striking horse. Yeah. And uh, she arrives at this thing that looks like two large stones sticking straight up. Almost looks like a gateway or a doorway without a door type thing. Uh, Loyal mm -hmm. shows up. Builder, thank you for honoring your promise again. She calls him a builder, um, honoring that sort of custom. She asks if he's alone, and then whoop whoop, is that Aguin and Perrin's music? They mm -hmm. arrive. Aguin smiles, and then we see Rand and Matt, Lan, and Nynaeve. The gang's all here. Aguin gets off her horse and hugs Rand as if they're going to continue some sort of romantic relationship, <laughs> and I don't believe that they will. Matt goes up to Perrin, you look like shit, which is funny because Matt himself doesn't look great. Rand, at least I wasn't stupid enough to steal someone's dagger. Pretty funny. They all that was Perrin. Oh, Perrin says that. Uh, they yeah. all hug, and Moraine tells them that there will be time for every story as they travel. Land hugs his horse. Real touching moment. Land seems like the only one who really gives a shit about his horse here. And they well, send them all Moraine, away. 
pats her mare's muzzle a couple of times and obviously looked kind of sad that she's like they really know. focused on Lan with the horse though i mean yeah, yeah a little maybe a little bit i more, mean but... mandarb is is a very important character uh anyway horses go adios horses i don't think they get horses anymore well yeah so which that is my my disappointed argument for this part is like really you're just gonna let the horses go with their tack on like that's just a recipe for disaster with their like with why their on the, the saddle, the, like yeah. all, all the stuff for all riding. Stuff yeah. Why is that a recipe for disaster? Because somebody else can try to ride. So, them? no, because horses are stupid and they will probably run into something, get themselves caught, put their head down, get you know, put a foot on the rein, and then get freaked out, and then you know they hurt themselves. Anyway, oh, the whole okay, point is they really should have had somebody else that took the horses away with them. But they can't trust anybody. Yeah, so I know. Maybe, maybe they should have taken this the the, the tact. <laughs> Look at me. Probably should have taken the tact off. Yeah. So, I mean, but we do have a horse trader that now has a bunch of horses. Maybe That's so. True. That's true. Um, Loyal explains if he can find them again. Loyal explains they would not survive the ways. I believe that's the first time we hear that phrase. Yep. Ways. Nynaeve uh, looks at Moraine, skeptical. Egwene and I told them what the Amarillan said, but none of us will follow you blindly, not without answers to our questions. Pretty sure Egwene would. Uh, I think she's speaking <laughs> for the crowd here, but I'm pretty sure Egwene would go with it. She jumps in with both. Yeah, feet. absolutely. Yeah. Rand, we've all heard of the ways in stories, but none of us know what they are. <laughs> speaking for the rest of us. Uh, Loyal mm-hmm. uh, answers, uh, calling them ancient pathways to space and time. One step in the ways could be a hundred miles in our world. One breath, the equivalent of Moraine. It's the fastest way to the eye of the world. <laughs> Got some off. Mm-hmm. Um, yet again, that sort of, it, it is kind of funny, right? That Loyal is very measured. At chooses word. You know, he speaks like Barack Obama. Calm, <laughs> choose yep. the words, take your time. And, um... Yep. Marine's not happy. Pendantic. Marine's not happy. Yeah. Cuts him off. I, I was going to say, it might be also a little bit like Spencer, especially when he, he gets his uh, <laughs> gets the, the bit in his mouth explaining something. Uh, yeah, that's true. It's, it's sort of like, hold on, give me a second. I'm getting there. Uh, they ask what's there, and Marine says the Dark One is there. Um, basically, uh, in a prison that the last dragon put him in. And now it's our time to finish. We're going to finish him off. He's in prison. We're going to go to the prison. We're going to go into Shawshank, and we're going to kill this motherfucker. <laughs> Uh, Rand says, uh, but you don't know who the dragon is, right, Marie? Well, when we left the two rivers, I told you nothing because I couldn't trust you, but now I know you and I, potential line of the episode, let me speak clearly. If we turn back here, if we do not stop the Dark One now, while he is still weak, the whole world will turn to darkness. Armies of Trollocs and Fades, a million strong, will wash across the land, killing and eating every person they find. What they did to your village is nothing compared to what they will do. The earth itself will burn, and when the new age comes, it will be built upon the ashes of the places and the people we love. I, I, you know, I, I don't think it's good radio for me to just read the script of the episode, but I do think it's important to say that quote and for us to talk about that quote because I feel like that's the first time that Moraine really said, here are the stakes. Like, I'm putting them out there. Here are, the, here are the, the stakes as I see them. And it seems like she's being truthful, saying basically... Yep. The dark she one has will, to be truthful. The dark one, well, yeah, but not misleading. Actually pulling the curtain right. back, too. Yeah, yes. when, yeah, uh, I mean, I, yeah, but not being misleading. Actually saying everything that she thinks, right? Which is, if the dark one continues to grow, we don't kill him now, he will get stronger eventually. Uh, you know, hellfire and brimstone, it's all coming for us. So, let's go So, Lee, what was the question? What was the question? What was the question that she was answering? Um, yeah, uh, which was, what will happen... 
Uh, no, you don't know who the two who the dragon is, right? Yeah, so she doesn't say well, yes or no to the dragon thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, She's like, well, I didn't trust you, but now, well, let me be clear. Yeah, yeah. This is going to be really dangerous. Yeah, you know what it was? Barack Obama, let me be clear. Yeah, yeah exactly. It was kind of like uh, in a presidential debate. When someone's like, "Hey, pivot, will, will pivot, your will pivot. your tax will your healthcare policy increase taxes?" And it's Reject like, the premise. Let me explain something about what I believe in America. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa okay, hold on. She, Leo McGarry has gotten to Moraine. Reject the premise of the question. Sure, uh, you know, and uh, so I can see where BJ's going. She, he thinks that Moraine knows who the dragon is, or at least strongly suspects it. I think we do too. I think Swan Sanchez really tipped that uh, earlier on. But I do. I still think in her maybe not answering the question, super, super important about the stakes. And yeah, that she's oh. imparting extremely important line. Um, definitely. This is actually something that I really respect her for is like before taking these people on this journey, she was like, just got to say, this is this is a big deal. 100 percent. You, you guys should know. Yep. Yeah. Aguin, uncomfortable. I would say a um, uh, inconvenient question. What about whoever's not the dragon? What happens to them? Beat, beat, beat. Do I have to answer this question? Do I have, do I, have to? I guess they're still looking at me. Okay. Well, we cannot know for certain until that moment comes. Technically true, I guess. Um, but she strongly suggests, strongly believes, um, it, we know this from her conversation with Swan Sanche, she strongly thinks that they'll die. I feel like Swan Sanche actually inadvertently gave her the out in yeah, this question. absolutely. Like, Swan Sanche saying, actually, we don't know that, gave her the ability to say... We don't know for certain. Because I think that in a vacuum, right. Moraine... As she answered, Swan Sanche, yeah. that anybody else is going to die. I think that this... Introduced her, some uncertainty yes, in mind. Yeah. Yes, mm, That's a great point. Um, Marie then walks up to the pathway between the two stone structures. She starts to use the one power. Whoa, it envelops her. And we see a black sort of hole come about. Matt, is it too late to change my mind? Uh, Marie, there is no turning back. Whatever happens now is beyond our control. Marie walks into it. The wheel weaves as the wheel will. Pretty cool. She walks in and land loyal do as well. Like the Darches, uh, Egwene, Nynaeve, Rand, Parent walk in, but that mother, oh, he sucks. Matt stays behind. Rand screams, Matt, what are you doing? Matt's not through. Matt, Matt stays, looks at them. Moraine shoots him a look I would not want. Um, this is kid acting up in class and the teacher just firing off a lot. I mean, she gives him a serious look and then bam, that is the end of the episode. Good job on the recap. Good job. As always. Yep. That's the end of the episode. Are we, do we want to talk about anything there or do we want to jump for segments? Uh, I think yes. Jump to the segments. Yeah. Yeah. Segments. Yeah. So, we'll uh, the wheel, wheel. I've been practicing that. <laughs> I'm going to. Good job. Make you start, Brie, as we do. As Tavern of the Week. Yes. I mean, yeah, I am a pretty strong person. <laughs> yep. Difficult. I pull everybody's pattern. Yep. Mm-hmm. Difficult to keep on your own track when you're around. Okay. Yeah. Um, for this episode, though, I, you know, it's still not going for basically any of the two rivers five. Um, <laughs> just just going to lay that out there. So I this is a one that I'm actually a little bit unsure on because I actually I really think that Swan, I know, but Swan and Moraine, I think, are neck and neck for Tavern of the Week for this episode. Well, good. Because this is real. It's your, it's your nomination. You because get to I was going to do that anyway. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so so on this is her episode right like we get so much development of her this is the first time we've seen her 
I doubt we'll see her for the rest of the season. I mean, maybe, but I don't think so. We start with her with the cold open. We get a lot of character development with her and Moraine. Um, she delivers some great lines. So, like, I really like her as a character, and I think that she's super interesting in this episode. However, what I would also say, and I think Lee is going to 100% back me up on this, is Moraine was fantastic, and she has so much emotion in this episode. And just, you can really, you start to see her really playing all of the different factions against each other. Um, and you get to not, no, you get to nominate one. I get to. No, you I get, can do. No, no, no. You get to decide. You get to nominate one. Then we'll Soraine. come back to you and make. Soraine. No, you get to nominate one, and we'll come back to you. Your nominee Soraine. is Swan. No, Swan. Okay. You're uh, pointing to a screen at this point. Yes, this is not helping. Uh, <laughs> Lee, go. Oh yeah. Well, then I'll pick Marine. Obviously. Um, yeah. I mean, she. Uh, I'm gonna go with. Uh, the fact that she is something that I said over and over again was my common refrain through the recap is that she's more in control than you think she is. And mm-hmm. I think that what you've done now for the the viewer is now there is a healthy skepticism of any troubling situation that Moraine seems to find herself in. I think if it looks like Moraine is encountering a situation that might be problematic for her, now they've inserted this thing in your head that goes, well, fuck, she might be puppet mastering that too, right? You don't know, like they've shown real power, real behind the scenes manipulation from her in a way that now everything is sort of on the table with her her power and her chess maneuvering, right? So uh, mm-hmm. it makes that character even more interesting. And then the B part of that is just the leadership she shows um, from right at the start of the episode, you know, sacrificing herself or at least exerting a lot of power to help Matt to, you know, voluntarily going into exile so that she can continue this journey to try to take them to the Selfless dark one. to a fault. Selfless to a fault. I mean, she just shows leadership constantly through it. So uh, with the, you never know just how powerful she is. And then also the, the leadership qualities, it's got to be Marine for me. Sarah? I'm going to go back to um, Swan. I think it's, it's really difficult to, to, for me to even consider nominating anyone else. Other, I mean, Moraine is a fine choice, I suppose. But for, <laughs> for me, because she is introduced in this episode, but also what is so interesting to me about her is that she is the first Aes Sedai that we've really gotten a background on. We are dealing with a lot of other women in the Aes Sedai who are living in as we see them right now, right? We got a little bit of Leandrin we talked about last episode, um, a little hint of her background, which I thought was so powerful. But Swan is the And first... we get a little tidbit of that for Moraine this episode yes, as well. But it's she not a noble. full it's or not a, a full fleshed out story. We haven't got, right. gotten that kind of origin story before. Um True. and I thought that, that was that was really cool and really powerful. I also to add on to what you were saying, Brie, one of the things that I really like about her in this in this episode and that I think is so makes her a power player in the show for the viewer is that she fills out Moraine's character so much mm-hmm. um, that we only get the emotion that we get from Moraine and these like interesting multifaceted, like she can be playful for God's sake, which who would have suspected that? Um, On your knees. We only get that. Yeah. From 
we only get that because Swan Sanjay is here, right? And I think that that's really interesting. Um, and I think that in both the plot and in the sort of TV view- show viewership, um, she was the real power player this week. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, BJ. So BJ. So I'm going to pivot hard right um, and say Leandrin because she brings the what goes on in the tower to life. Like, we, we see a little bit of the machinations from Swan and Moraine, like, but mostly they're just working together, not... We don't get more of what the overall uh, politics of the tower are. Whereas with Leandrin and her maneuvering in the hall, we get that she's bringing in greens and blues to support reds, which is super uncommon. We get that... You know, the Amarlin isn't supposed to have favorites with her calling out that Swan was once a blue. And we also get that, you know, things are a lot more complicated than they seem. I mean, and Megan plays a bit of a role in that, but I think Leandrin is really, she's fleshing out the tower in a way that more, uh, Swan and Moraine are fleshing out each other's stories and fleshing out like what we know about Annie Sedai. Like we get so much more of, the feel of the tower from Leandrin than anybody else so far. Yeah, that's fair. Mm-hmm. And it's what's interesting that is, is that hmm. about Leandrin too is that while we were introduced to her out in the world, um, you know, hunting down Min Channel or False Dragons or, you know, whatever she was specifically sent out to do, it doesn't matter. But what's so interesting is that in the past two episodes, really, we have gotten her she is a creature of the tower, right? Yeah. Like she is point. a political machinator um mm-hmm. it, it i love that we were introduced to her out in the world and then we really get to see her what it seems to be in in her element which is like actually um she's not doing it as well as she thinks she is she's but pulling a lot of she's strings. pulling a lot of strings in in the tower i think that that transition is really interesting yeah. okay hmm. interesting good uh good nomination i actually think now that we've gone through this um now that we have two votes for swan we're going to go with Swan as Tavern of the Week this week. I think there's one additional thing that I want to say here, and it leads into what I've, I think my favorite quotes of the episode is, no life, no loves of one own, one's own, nothing but the seat. So she's a real like tragic figure, right? Like we see mm-hmm. her leave her home and everything that she's loved and her father, who's almost certainly, as you called it, Lee, probably going to die. Yep. And then she makes her way to the tower where she doesn't belong, but she becomes a figurehead. And then she has this great love of her life, Moraine, but they're forever apart. And now she's even exiled her love. Like it's, it's pretty sad. Like, and she's doing all of this as a as a dedication of her life for these greater causes. Well, it, you know who I mean. Who else is Moraine going to couple up with? Right? She's not. She's not going to couple up with a selfish person, right? Because she obviously views selflessness and service so high, right? She's not, right. She yeah. holds that in high regards. So it's not surprising that she would couple up with Swan Sanche. Um, okay, so Swan Sanche wins. Is that what I'm hearing? Yep. Yep. Right. Okay. Can we? Can we get? I, I would have given an honorable mention to Loyal, I think, because um, he does seem to be like a sort of like a Swiss Army knife. Like he's <laughs> just kind of like doing stuff. He, he's just helpful. He's just a helpful guy. Maybe a little more. I hope we're gonna see saying. more from him. <laughs> yeah. I, I I don't think we're gonna. I think he's gonna play a little bit more of a role in the next mm-hmm. couple episodes. I sure hope. So. I think he's important. Yeah. All right. So so Bree, is that your quote? For the week yeah, too? I think I'll, I'll take that as my quote for the, the uh, week. All right, I will go, and then the two of you. Um, I'm going to go 
Real easy, real low-hanging fruit. If wisdom is the title you claim, I suggest you start using some. That, I, th- I think this is much more, th- so this is what Moraine said to Nynaeve. Um, it was in a bigger context of, of sort of Nynaeve not like trusting. living up to her potential, not mm-hmm. trusting Moraine, um, and really like representing herself as more than she is when she has so far to go and could be so great. And, you know, we get a little bit of that in, in uh, Swan's talking to to Egwene and Nynaeve later, which I think maybe one of you will uh, mention. But I think this is so important for everybody from the Two Rivers to hear because it's like you're in the big leagues now. Like the stuff that, they, that you might have gotten away with when you were in the Two Rivers and the stakes were not high and... You might have thought that they were high. You might have thought it was important. And, you know, how you look was could have been really important. That doesn't matter now. What matters is that we accomplish the tasks that are in front of us, that, you know, we protect each other and use the resources that we have, not just, you know, bluster and, and, and try and muddle through. And and so that that is my... I also like that it was kind of funny that we get Moraine, you know, having that that quick repartee when when necessary. Ooh, I thought you were going to give another quote. I was going to slam you for doing two. (laughs) (laughs) Nope, you didn't fall into the trap. All right, Lee. All right, mine. uh, Again, I like to focus on Marine's leadership qualities. Um, And this is, uh, part of being a leader is uh, uh, having to make very, very tough calls. Um, Sometimes you have to fire people, right? You have to Mm -hmm. let them go. Uh, if it's one dragon or five, man or woman, the heart of every prophecy is the same. The dragon will either defeat the dark one or join them. Moraine, I'll kill them myself before I let him have them. I just, I, I think that's, I mean, I think it's good leadership. I, I can see how people would be really put off by that. But it's her basically saying, like, I will take matters in my own hands if I have to here. Um, which is what a leader does, right? Uh, and I also just think it introduces a level, an edge to her character that is very interesting. Again, they've they've done they've done a lot with this character to where I feel like so much is on the table with her. She's going to be super exciting to watch. I mean, they may kill her off next episode. I don't know, but she's super exciting to watch right now because like she's basically said, "I'll fucking kill these kids if I have to." She's also said, "I'll kill you if you try to kill these kids." So everything's on the table with Moraine. And what I think is cool about that quote is it was like we've seen a lot of Maureen dancing around a bunch of topics and this one she's straight out you know even though it was to her pillow friend she was like absolutely i will kill yeah. them which is a very bald statement from Maureen and it makes um kind of what what happens later in the episode um a little bit more like real right because she's taking them now to the dark one and so she said mm-hmm. if i have to i'll kill yeah. them and it looks like she's taking some of them to the possibly their certain death Matt seems to have fucked right off. Just noped out. So maybe maybe he'll survive (laughs) the whole thing. I don't know. Um, Yeah. Sarah. Okay, I am um, doing one just for me this week. So it comes up twice in the episode, uh, and I just hits all all of the feels for me. Swan Sanche, daughter of the river, clever as a pike, strong as the tides. And this seems a little bit throwaway. I, I realize like it doesn't have the sort of gravity and, and weight to the episode of a lot of the ones that you've been bringing up, but a couple of things for me. One, especially when her father says to her, like I am tearing up in the world. I love a good father-daughter strong bond and this sort of moment of departure gets me every time. But for me, one of the things I love that 
that A, Moraine knows about this later, that's a real, in ways that we really didn't get before, that's a real indicator of the depth of their relationship. Um, mm -hmm. Because what it means is that Moraine has access to Swan Sanche, the woman, not the Aes Sedai, and who she was before she was an Aes Sedai, right? Yeah. Which is so important in their conversation, is in the conversation that um, Swan Sanche has with Nynaeve and Egwene later, talking about what you give up. Um, and the fact that she can find a little bit of that again with Moraine is really cool. I also just, like, I, clever as a pike, saying that to like this 12 year old girl, I, it warms me up as well. Like I just, I love it. So, um, plus, you know, as much as I have enjoyed having this episode that is like specifically revolving around Swan Sanche in so many ways, um, I thought, I thought that was a pretty cool addition. All right. All right. Um, and I'm going to go with Swan Sanche quote, but not any of the ones we nominated because I get to decide. Um, and it is, the wheel does not care if you are young or afraid, petty or weak. It certainly doesn't care what you want. The wheel calls you uh, to this, whether you can hear it or not. Bear it. Whether you can bear it or not. And to me, like, that, it was the other side of Moraine, one of Moraine's quotes from last episode, mm -hmm. where she was talking about the one power, she was talking about, like, how overbearing it is, and now we get... Swan Sanche basically talking about what it means to be an Aes Sedai, what it means to be able to take up this mantle of power or, or becoming a dragon or any of these things where you might shy away from it, but that's not what your lot in life is. And you need to live up to what your lot in life is because the wheel doesn't care what you started out from. What is also... I just want to interrupt for just a second, BJ, and say what's also so interesting about this particular moment is it's it's also the sort of um, complement to Moraine talking to Loghain about the sheer indifference of the wheel. And yeah. what's interesting is that Swan Sanche is, is, is talking about the indifference to some extent. The, the wheel doesn't care, you know, what you think about this, but she has sort of a different spin on it than Moraine does mm -hmm. in that moment because Moraine's understanding of the wheel in that moment was like the wheel is just out there doing what it does um and it really doesn't care about you or me or any of this um it can't care about this but i feel like there's a distinction between what swan sanche is saying here and what moraine said earlier and i i think it, it's partially the like what you want out of that person because Logan already tried to take up the mantle he he thought like he was super important and it's like no the wheel doesn't care like what you want but you need to like sit down now because this is like this is not your path whereas swan is on the other side of that the wheel doesn't care like what you want you have power and you need to use it and accept that mantle yeah i kind of viewed it as, as, as a similar messaging too which is the wheel you are the chosen ones right the wheel doesn't care if you like that or not that's your job hey logan yeah you're actually just a nut doesn't care if you like that or not you're just a crazy person. Yeah, that doesn't matter. Wheel doesn't care. Um, yeah, okay. Your threat is not important. All right. So now we go to my favorite of these segments, which at some point we're going to lose and I will be sad, but but we still have it now. It's the Dragon Power Rankings. Well, first I get to do well, my... What about theories? Yeah, I get my theory, movie, time. Movie theories. Theory, yeah, theory time. Theory time. 
so so we do have more. Uh, you've been giving them throughout. So so yes, let's do that. And then the dragon power. No, I, I mean, the theory time is going to be very quick, and it will bleed into the dragon power rankings. So we saw that Moraine takes in the typical blue, right? Look at me. Um, takes information <laughs> and files it away for later. I think that the information that Perrin is a warg, is a yellow-eyed, mm-hmm. she's going to file that away. And she's going to use that. I can I sense that there's going to be like a situation where they're in trouble. Uh, I don't know if it's in the ways or later. And she's going to leverage what she knows Perrin can do for the good of the group. Um, you know, this is like uh, BJ's favorite story, uh, Lord of the Rings, when um, <laughs> they're just crossing. They have to go all the way to Mordor, right? And uh, knowing that people have particular sets of skills can be very, very helpful on that journey. And so I think that she's going to, to leverage what she knows about Perrin in a very useful way later, which Moraine tends to do with information, right? Dragon power rankings, here we go. All right, last week I introduced a character, a new character. This was yes. none of them. None of them was introduced last None of them has fallen to no longer receiving votes. None of them <laughs> all. That was quick. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. the whole point of the none of one, none of them was the uncertainty in Moraine, the not knowing if she had this thing right or not. And if there's anything that this episode is going to convey to you is that Moraine has got her shit under control, right? So I think you have to really drop down the, the idea that it's just somebody completely different and Moraine is completely wrong, right? That gets off. That's no longer viable. Uh, very, very bottom, bottom as it goes, is Rand. Um, I mean, he's just not the dragon. I don't know what to say. I mean, he, he's got, if he keeps calling it the five, so I have to put him on the... He's just not. He's just not. <laughs> right above him is Perrin. I think that um, Perrin's probably... Perrin's probably something different, right? Um, the question that Egwene asked uh, Moraine of, well, you know, he has yellow eyes. That means he's not the dragon. She really did shimmy and shake on that answer. And that makes me think that, as BJ, you kind of alluded to, that he's probably not. He's probably something different, something really cool, but he's probably not the dragon. Um, above him has to be Matt, only because Matt Matt is above the, the other two because of Moraine specifically pointing out, wait a second, you're saying he's not the dragon because he was, quote, not channeling. But don't forget, he has a ton of power to be able to have survived this. So she's even pointing out that he's got something special going mm-hmm. on himself. But... Obviously, uh, in the top two here, far away, these are like, it, it, it's a whole different stratosphere now based on the conversation that um, Swan Sanche had with them. And that is, Egwene now being knocked from the top spot is number two. Egwene is two. Number one, Nynaeve. Nynaeve is number one because everybody keeps talking about she's the fucking Yoda of this world. She's the most powerful person who wields the force. Like she in a thousand yeah, years. Yeah, like how can she not be number one? I understand she doesn't meet the time frame or whatever, but like if she's the most powerful fucking person that they've ever run across, ever more powerful than Moraine, more powerful than Swan Sanche, that has to vault her up the power ringings. I also think that Egwene's like over the top eagerness is like possibly Robert Jordan if it's in the books otherwise it's the people writing the show tipping us off that maybe she's 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 not but those two have to be far and away the the number one uh, and number two because of the conversation Swan Sanche had with him there you go that's the dragon power rankings for this week all right mark right. it down awesome I do Locked want to loaded. comment that yes Egwene is as eager in the books okay yeah so she's, yeah. she's probably a, she's probably a distant two at this point you know like how they do when the coaches poll, right? Like it'll be like 98 vote, first place votes for Nynaeve, two first place votes for Egwene this week. So she's still number two, but she's a far away number two. Nynaeve vaulting to the number one spot. 
And Logan's somewhere unranked completely. Yeah, Logan. Not receiving votes anymore. Yeah, I mean, my, I yeah. mean if Logan is was the dragon, I feel like this is like one book. <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, it's over <laughs> he, pretty quick. He's a Dan out. Yeah. Okay, so All right. part one. All right. In the All books. Right. This was a lot of fun. Thanks. Uh, looking forward to next week. Hope everybody has a great week. See you then. May you always find water and shade, Lee. Welcome back to part two of our uh, delve into the Wheel of Time, where we have lots of spoilers. Lots and lots and lots and lots of spoilers, <laughs> mostly from the books. So if you haven't read the books and or don't want to be spoiled, uh, wait for our next episode. But if you want to hear us talk about uh, a lot of book spoilers and uh, the episode and sort of relating the two, uh, welcome to part two. Uh, we have Reading the Pattern, where we're fitting things into the bigger book perspective, what from the warp, differences in the books, and then Disappointed Dark Friends. We are changing Disappointed Dark Friends. The internet's the worst. Most people just say, it's not the books, and we're unhappy about that. Well, that's great. It's not going to be the books. It's an adaptation. We're kind of tired of that being basically the only complaint, rather than, I think that there are valid complaints. We have complaints, of, and so that's what we're going to do going forward. We- we're going to talk about... We are the Disappointed Dark Friends. We'd, we'd like yes. to bring a little nuance to the Disappointed Dark Friends segment. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, the true reason why you have named yourself Nyblas. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I am a powerful Disappointed Dark um, Anyway. Okay. So, um, let's kind of just hop into it. Um, so, I think that the, they're doing a lot of setup in this episode. Um, and, Sarah, I think this is... going to be a bit of a spoiler for you given what you remember but you know whatever so swan talking about being stilled for this in the books she is a hundred percent stilled for this so that's where like when lee was like that that wouldn't happen right it was like oh a hundred percent it does she gets birched well and still and you know it's I did Not quite I, just for this, but yeah. Yeah, I, and I didn't know that that happened, but just watching the show, I do feel like um, one of one of what could be, I think, not a disappointed dark friend, but it is something that I sort of notice about the show that does sort of make me roll my eyes a little harder than I normally would sometimes, is that because they have to be, because they have so much source material to be drawing from, and they're trying to streamline it down so much, much the fact that everything becomes important, the, fa- the fact that they only choose to portray things that becomes important, it becomes a little too on the nose when it, yeah. every throwaway line is like, well, that's going to happen then. Like, like I was saying in part one about Matt and the knife, Yeah, they brought it up, so of course that's going to happen, right? So, right, but but... To be fair, they do this in the, like Jordan does this in the books. Sure, like sure, they, sure, they, sure, sure, sure. They, like yes. Swan talks about being stilled. I think in book one yeah. when she talks to Moraine, at some point relatively early on that like we could be stilled for this, yeah. and it does happen. So like there being like yes, not everything needs to be important, but because they're streamlining, yes, and and the it's happening. The only thing that I would would say because I I do know that this happens in the books as well and like that can also get a little bit annoying sometimes but right what the books do have going 
for them in this specific case is that because they pile on so much detail and so much happens in between that it doesn't feel quite so oh we're gonna see this in an episode yeah, it's not or two. you know much and, heavy yeah. foreshadowing yeah. so in in some ways it's annoying because if you're trying to go back like i remember when i was much younger i had like the you know wheel of time companion sure, book sure, and, sure, sure. and a whole bunch of stuff and so trying to identify specific areas in the books where specific things happen is really really hard mm-hmm. like foreshadowing because there's so much and it's just like all slammed in there right. so trying to pick out the nuggets essentially are are actually really hard so yeah i would just i agree with yeah. you that you know we shouldn't be having to essentially hang on every word and be like oh yeah actually that is a little foreshadowing that is a but it's hard to do with this much source material. Yeah, and what what is to to bring up your to, to to sorry to take on your turn of phrase, Bree? Like it, what we're left with is a show that becomes only nuggets um, and no dross. Yeah, and so it doesn't for for me. One of my my complaints. I'm, I am going to now turn this into a real disappointed dark friend right now, which I know it's not the segment for it, but it's directly related. <laughs> <It's fine>. um, <laughs> is that because because the show from necessity does this it loses some of for me it loses some of the the wonder of discovery um that you do get in the books even though you're you're kind of having to sort through stuff and and figure out where it is and all of that because it's so condensed um you lose a little bit of that process of of figuring stuff out on your own and so, you lose some flesh. Like, you yeah, know, it's yeah. not as fleshed out a world if everything is a neat knot. Yes. Like, everything ties back mm-hmm. together because, like, you just don't need to see everything all the time. Yeah. And this is being, like, all the things that you ever see are almost definitely going to be important soon. And, you know, we'll get there in an episode or two. But, you know, on the other side, that's sort of how you hook people in. Well, but we also don't actually know that we'll see any of this. It's very possible that we may not see some of the things that they are alluding to. And those just become book nuggets, right? Like, they're just never going to actually become a thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's a a really good point, Brie. I think that... um, that, And we have seen that with a couple of, like, throwaway lines that really do feel like maybe these are just sort of there for the Easter eggs for the book people, essentially. Exactly. But... I don't, this feels like one that's sort of like, that's coming back. You know, there, there might be things that we are not picking up that are only essentially show foreshadowing because they're changing this enough that there are going to be things and scenes that we have no idea. So maybe, yeah. So we might, there might be new things and we just don't know. Maybe I'm actually complaining more about... Maybe my disappointed dark friend is actually more about the heavy-handedness that I feel like comes in yeah. with some of these it lines. It is pretty blunt. Um, we've talked yeah. about some of the transitions a little bit and whether those fall into, is this too on the nose or not? Um, yeah. And I do feel like, but it again, it's hard because I've been sitting over here, I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth because I've been sitting over here making the case for, well, you got to bring the casuals along with you, right? Right. So... And, Whatever. And Both of these things the point, can be true at the same time. Lee's power rankings have Rand at the bottom, and they're not going to change that. And like, there are so yes. many things that like he's very spot on. Um, that in in his theories, mm-hmm. you know, most recently with Perrin's power being like a different power, and yeah, I think the politics and the Isidore. And, and I do like that that it's obvious enough mm-hmm. that like people pick that out because again, we talked about last time. We don't have Elias Makara. 
or Machara, yeah. like as as the shepherd for this, um, and so it's tough. And and I think one of the the other reasons that that we're we're getting um, we're getting some of the uh, we're not sure who the dragon is is because in the book it was like why is everybody going? If you know who the dragon is, why is everybody going mm-hmm. to the eye of the world? Like why like it wasn't clear. It was sort of a very fellowship of the ring. We're just going to take everybody to go do the thing because everybody's necessary, but they're not. Well, or they. Okay. But here's an interesting thing is that in the book, really, it was that the reader knew Moraine knew maybe Rand knew sort of, but the yeah. other people didn't know. Right. But like Matt and Perrin, but why are Matt and Perrin going to the eye of the world? Like this is just super dangerous for them because they go through the, the, the blight, um and, mm-hmm. you, and like they're, they're basically in the australian outback going to somewhere even more dangerous they're going to like the you know a nuclear test site through this oh like everything's against you and it's like why do you have these two two randos from a village somewhere so i think that they're flirting with that line of we're trying to make this more believable as to why everybody's there mm-hmm. and Without having to build a whole lot into why Matt and Perrin are important to Rand. Right. Right. Um, and which I hope they'll get to, but um, but I don't know. Yeah. I Can we talk, talk about these power rankings for a second? Because, like, I do not... And we have talked about this on, on part two of this yeah. podcast before. But, like, we... We're still not getting anything that would push Rand up Lee's power rankings. We sure are. Yeah. And it is, yeah. I like, I am now legitimately starting to worry, or not not even worry, I guess, but, like, I'm legitimately starting to wonder, in this turn of the wheel of this story, is the show going to pick a different dragon? No. No, so we we have gotten confirmation from Rafe okay. that absolutely this is not going to be that much of a different turning um, Rand is still the Dragon Reborn. Then they're, they gotta do a lot of fucking work. So, but, so I would, yes, I absolutely agree. And I am also concerned about it. Mm-hmm. But I also want to point out that in, in basically the last few episodes, each episode has been really developing one specific person. And like, mm-hmm. they're showing that like, they have the strength to really develop someone in just the space of an episode. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping that we have enough space with two episodes for us to get a lot of development out of brand and to get a really strong reveal. I, I hope so, so too. Oh, my, we've got a lot of uphill to do. What, what worries me about that, I hope so too. And I, you know, to your point where you are right, they have shown that they can introduce a character and develop them really well. In and the make us care episode. about them. However, yeah. the difference with Rand at this point is that we have had six episodes with him. Um, so we're not coming fresh to him as a character. We have six episodes of him being boring um, and displaying no facility with the one power and being at the bottom of Lee's power rankings, essentially, right? Yeah. So it's a little bit of a different situation in that we're not getting this new introduction to him. Um, We're battling uphill against all of this previous history we have of him not being particularly interesting or impressive. And I'm worried... And legitimately worried that this is going to be like the season finale reveal, and mm-hmm. and people are going to be like, the it's like that came Excuse out me? of nowhere. Excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. And like I think some people would be might be okay with it, mm-hmm. 
but I think that they need to drop a little bit more. Um, and, you know, we'll see what they do with that. Yeah. Anyway, um, I just wanted to make sure that we talked about that a little bit because we are yeah. now six episodes in and it's the, this really is the same thing. And I and really did think that we were going to get this, this episode because we didn't get it last episode. And so I was like, yes, this is the time when Rand starts moving up the dragon power yeah. rankings and a hundred percent does not. Not so, a single reason for him to do so. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, like, move into a little bit of Weft and Warp, yeah. where, like, this is departing from, from the books, is, you know, we we get a lot more indication that uh, Rand is the Dragon Reborn and can channel because they didn't put in channeling sickness. Mm -hmm. They didn't put in that, that, so Rand clearly used the one power to break down the door. Mm -hmm. Yes. He wasn't sick afterwards. That, that nothing happened afterwards, yeah. which... You know, maybe they're just going away from that, but that that would have been like a a clue in for everybody watching that there's something more going on. Mm -hmm. They dropped a line that you know he sort of remembers Dragon Mount, and we basically, we talked about that, but no like, they're not really doing it, anything. Yeah. And like one of the biggest things that I think I mentioned on Pod, but I can't remember, which is Land trains Rand to use the sword, which is a super important thing for the next 13 books mm -hmm. and that they're not doing it. Like, why does he even have a sword? Like, you know, that was one of the big reasons that there was this land Rand connection. It plays into like how Rand approaches the world with land, the uh, land's similar outlook. Mm -hmm. And so that that's a change. It's a big change. I, I don't know what they're doing with it. Um, and, I think that there are two like two other characters that they're really changing from book one that I just don't know what they're gonna do and and I think it's worth maybe us talking a little bit out and speculating but like Nynaeve and Egwene are are not staying at the tower they're not going along with their training and so like I don't know what happens to their characters next. Well, yeah, because this is one yeah. of the tricky things of like the way they've kind of meshed in book one and two together, right? Mm -hmm. um, because the timeline gets so funky. Yeah. Right. Because, I mean, in, in the books, they they don't make a detour to Tarvalon before they go to Eye of the World. Right. And so there's no reason for the girls to get pulled away. Mm -hmm. And the girls are go to Tarvalon separately. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, and once they're there, mm -hmm. then they're there for their training. And, and, you know, it's pretty clear that the tower wouldn't let untrained women just walk away. Right. And so that is a, a departure um, we'll see if, you know, they sort of get called back um, or, you know, if because I assume they were they were able to sneak away. It just it still doesn't make sense why the tower would have allowed them to essentially run free, especially once they knew of them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think playing into that is they're really changing how women with the power interact with each other by avoiding the I can you can sense somebody else who can channel. Or, yeah. you know, has the spark within them or whatever else. And I, there are going to be a lot of future ramifications that I don't know what they're going to do. Because there's a, a scene in, there's a huge plot in that starts off in book four that is predicated on women being able to sense that the, the other channel. There's a, a whole chunk in, in season two. Uh, the reference. You mean book two? Yeah, in book two with the, the Shanshan, which... Yeah. Like, I like that Lee picked up that the boats in the West are a big thing, because mm -hmm. they are a really big thing. <laughs> um, but, 
but that like is a whole thread that that continues throughout you know the rest of the book well, so and we would have had like a perfect so what makes me think that they're just not they're dropping this entirely is that we actually had a perfect moment for that to come up naturally this episode mm-hmm. when Leandrin is saying to Moraine like you you're telling me that you didn't know that she was that she could channel um or that you didn't tell us or you know however that actually yeah. played out and Moraine is like well no I didn't know um right and, like, that would have been the moment, if you were going to introduce that idea, right. that would have been the moment to say, well, like, yes, I sense that she could channel, but I didn't know that it was so strong. Oh, right. right. But, but and, they didn't and do that. I think some of that is just what they're trying to do with the, the special effects budget, maybe, or, like, a lot of internal things, because, you know, it's really hard to tell the viewer what a character knows rather than being in their head and and they're not doing like the whole glow enveloping somebody when they embrace sadar Mm -hmm. so like a lot of those things are kind of like a i get why they might be doing it but like it changes they're gonna have to like re-weave a lot of the 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 plot threads that that are super important to the book yeah but i think you know, hopefully they will find ways around them. I think they're not insurmountable challenges yes. or they wouldn't have wouldn't have modified it. Um, I think you can also look at, you know, the way that men sense other men that can channel. I think they're kind of going more with that where essentially you have to test them. You have to have like a resonance that builds up between, you know, the tester and the testee. And then you can identify whether or not that person can channel. Mm-hmm. And you can't even tell how powerful they will be. Um, mm. it's just much more a testing of, you know, you can feel how much they are holding mm-hmm. of yeah. Seydin. And so I think they're using that probably because it's a lot easier to show on the show. Maybe. Yeah. Or, or they can show. just talk about, like, they'll have to talk yeah. about rather than, like, just a set. So yeah. I think everybody can say, you know, Nynaeve is really strong. Yes. Okay, that's easy to say. It's really hard for them to say, you know, oh, I sense that she's much stronger than me, but weaker than mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll it, like, I get that it's tough, but this is a, a really significant departure that'll have ramifications, like, throughout the show. And so, like, a lot of things are going to have to be rewritten for that. Um, are there any other major departures that Major you, departures. You hmm. Um, I think, actually, that I'm I'm a little bit disappointed about the Terra Angriol that takes them to somewhere in Tyr. Mm-hmm. At least that's what I assume it is, and that's where they're going is actually physically going somewhere. So it's that a was big my deal. assumption too. Just so, it's a really yeah. big deal when they rediscovered uh, traveling. Mm. So the ability to immediately step from one place to another. Now this is not that. This is like a terra angriel that allows you to specifically only travel to one spot, and it's fixed. Mm-hmm. So it only does the one thing. Presumably. Presumably. I mean, we don't know that. Maybe you can change them somewhat, which could be because like otherwise why does it go to someplace in tier yeah but it's still it i don't know if they're setting up for them being able to discover gateways and traveling but that was such a big thing in the books of like oh holy crap this changes everything that you can literally just move armies from one place to the other Mm -hmm. so the other possibility which is in keeping with some books and isn't Mm -hmm. as crazy is um, in the previous age, Asa Dai used pocket universes to like do experiments. 
And so there are plenty of Tarangriel that are basically labs that mm. you can go in, you can experiment with the power, you're not going to like affect the, the outside world, and you can do all sorts of things. And it's sort of associated with the ways uh, that we're going to get into and another departure from the books and some disappointed dark friends that I have, um, as well as um, uh, a couple of other things, but basically where... Um, I think we'll get it with the portal stones that's probably going to happen next season. Mm-hmm. Um, where they're... If they do. They might yeah, take they, out yeah, all the portal t- stones. They could take all of that out. Which... I mean, I, we still have to meet Lanfear, and I think she's probably been cast. Do we have that confirmed? I don't know if they have, we have that there, confirmed. There's so... some very, very beautiful woman that mm, is postulated to be Lanfear, whether mm. or not that is true. Okay. Yeah, so we'll see. Um, but yeah, so, so the other world's thing that hopefully we'll get more of in the TV show is very definitely a book thing. And I've, most people that read the books are like, this is what this has to be. Otherwise, they're kind of breaking the show a little bit in one of two ways. Because this could be the dream world, mm-hmm. which is problematic in certain ways. And it could be just traveling, which is problematic in ways that Lee brought up. This is like a super powerful thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Like, this is something that, like, is an insane power in the world and kind of world-breaking. And and it's a it's a huge deal to the characters yeah. when it yeah. happens. And so, you know, to not have... I, I just hope that that is explained in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is, like, a lot of the things that are supposed to happen in the dream world, you know, clothes changing, things moving, the lighting, yeah. those don't happen in this in, show, but, in the... Yeah, it doesn't have the show at all. Well, it doesn't happen in the show at all, because we know that we know, quote-unquote, that we're in the dream world when Perrin uh, is in it, like, in his his nightgown with the bat. Like, we have other things, and they haven't done as much shifting. And some of that is probably, it would take so much more effort to have, like, clothing changes and stuff like that happen, like, within a scene, Mm -hmm. and, and it'd just be expensive. So maybe we'll get that later, and they're sort of minimizing it. So, yeah. but we'll but they see what they... could have at least, like, you know, cut to the next shot and, like, stuff has moved. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. there, there are ways that they could have made it obvious that this is the dream world. I'm hoping this is a pocket world for, for all the reasons that we've brought up, but we'll see. And what... Maybe you can just key it to look like whatever you want. Yeah. yeah. And what I'm going to say as I'm, I'm putting back my hat of defender of the casual viewing experience here, um, because I haven't gotten to a lot of this stuff in the books, yeah. right? is that they're going to have to be real careful and really um, thoughtful about what they choose to do and not do with A, these nuances in traveling, and B, all of these, like, different types of worlds. Because, like, those, the way that I'm hearing you talk about them is that they are very important to the books, but they are possibly important in some ways to the books, but there are... I, I worry about how that is going to translate to a show when we are already having confusions about the difference between the ways versus whatever this port key thing is versus, right? Like, right. Right. That's going to be real so, hard is, my, is all so I'm saying. I, I have a feeling the next episode, we're going to get a much longer explanation from Loyal about what the ways are and stuff like that. We got a little bit mm-hmm. and... I think Moraine's like, well, we can tell all the stories next episode. Come on, guys. And we'll have a bunch of explanation. We're, we're almost at the one-hour mark, so we need to like get where we need to go. Yeah. Our exposition will be yeah. 
to be two episode seven next week yeah the one in which they do exposition (laughs) right right so yeah so we'll see where that goes i do want so i'm going to be a little disappointed dark friend about the ways and how that's diverged from the books that I, I claim that one. You can have the you can okay. have the horses. I, I already did talk right. about the horses. Well, uh, <laughs> well can you both please well, explain we can both, your, yeah. ahead, your difficulties yeah. with the ways? So the ways the ways are essentially they're originally built by is it specifically male channelers? It's, yeah. I think it's specifically. Both. I think it's men and women, but it's definitely uh, male is the die that help create this. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so and the they're origin of it was connecting Ogier setting. Yes. So it was it was one of like the the ways that the male Aesodai thanked the Ogier for providing setting, mm-hmm. the protection that they gave them mm-hmm. and to help them with their longing. And yes. they they basically had this these things where they grew the ways between the setting so you could go between them and not have to cross this world that was in turmoil that that was breaking like mm-hmm. during the breaking and during wars. Yes. And, you know, there was a lot of warring in this period because the right after, like, the sort of breaking itself, there was, like, another hundred years of war cleaning up a lot of the... Uh, armies that were left The behind. armies of the dark. The trolls, The, like, the, the, the Forsaken. The yeah. Yeah, right. exactly. And so to protect the Ogier for, for this great service that they did, they grew the ways between many different places where there were steadings and groves. Mm-hmm. And so Tarvalon had one uh, where they originally come out, come from is Camelon. They had one and like Manatharan had, had one, one you know, which is why the Trollocs were there. Faladara has one, which is presu- like where we're going to go in the next episode. But like one of the big points is it's for the Ogier to use and doesn't require the one power. Right. So it was super disappointing to see oh, Moraine yeah. open up the ways using the one power. And it's like, that, that that's not how that works. There's supposed to be basically a key um, that's shaped like the Avendasora leaf. Mm-hmm. Um, I forgot and, about that, yeah. And, and we don't see that. And the other thing that I just loved about the imagery of the ways is, you know, when we go into them, you know, with the characters in the first book is they are super dark, just like in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's no, no lightning, there's no weather um and it's like a a single path that goes off into the darkness and it's very simple and very foreboding because you can't see anything Mm -hmm. beyond the limits of your light but originally before they were essentially tainted um they looked like sort of these weightless arches um that spanned between these between these different settings and it was apparently like this really and they, they had islands that, that so the mm-hmm. bridges would go yeah. to islands. The islands were basically oases that had like fruit trees growing and, you know, just this like gorgeous imagery, but it was all coming from this growth. And yeah. so the way gate it's is supposed to be very ugly. Mm-hmm. This like, mm-hmm. the, it's just like these blocks and this, it's supposed to show. be in, in, and yeah, in the show and in the books, it's supposed to be like this intricate carving of like, flowers and vines and trees and the way that you open it is you have to know like where a specific leaf can be moved from one place to another and so they just got rid of all of that yeah and it's just such a like beautiful nature you know very you know growth 
and in keeping with the Ogier and their connection yeah. with the land, their connection with trees and everything else. And it's just like, well... And instead we get blocks of stone and, like, foreboding piles of rock. Yeah. Well, you know, I will say, I don't, I mean, I think that my... So a couple of things that I sort of hope are going on here, right? My generous reading of what is going on here is that we are getting this more, like, stone hingey kind of um, yeah. opening. Like... Right. A, because it's an easy visual cue to what it is, right? But B, I think that, I, I hope that the reason they've chosen to do this, which is not like, doesn't excuse it 100%, but because we didn't actually go in the way, into the ways in this episode. I mean, we got just into the very, like, antechamber, essentially, going right. in, right? We're not in them as we will be next episode, I'm assuming. Um that I, I think that what this entrance does is it foreshadows and highlights that the ways are going to be in decay, that they are, this is not, you know, some sort of pristine iteration right. of yeah. the ways, um, that we wouldn't have gotten this episode, we wouldn't have gotten that if we had the sort of beautiful, intricate... But, portal into the ways, yeah, right? That's fair. So, so, but like the immediate reaction once they actually get the doors open is Loyal says that it used to shine like a mirror and now it's like muddy and dark. Or mm -hmm. I think it was Loyal that says like that. that. And so, yeah. so like you do get that even if they're not like in in the ways. Yeah. Um, but I think it, it, it takes away from the organic nature well of them. the organic nature but also that they can be hidden that, that like they're not obvious mm -hmm. and so they're in cities and they're in places mm -hmm. and like can be covered up with other walls because you yeah. know they're just another wall which is this isn't like yeah i mean i guess you could build on it and maybe that's what they'll do but the uh hidden nature the hidden them. nature of it yeah. and it, it like kind of could just be a mur mural or a stone carving on a wall somewhere mm -hmm. and you have to know what to look for it just isn't there anymore and i think it takes away from some of the beauty of the books sure. and you know as sanderson likes to say in his uh interviews that it leans more into the grim dark mm -hmm. the a little bit more game of thronesy mm -hmm. than sort of the source material is in terms of like how scary and and dark the world yeah. is so we'll see. Yeah. Um, Excited to see what they're going to do there. And the other thing that I will say I'm leaning towards being a dose of porn to dark friend about is I have a feeling that they're going to have Alvieran take over Aleda at, and combine those two characters. I think that there are sort of valid reasons. Like Aleda was a red sister who ends up deposing Swan and is not a dark friend, but like forwards all of their causes more than basically every other she's just a terribly stupid she's just awful. woman <laughs> and so like for for some reasons combining her with alvieran or sorry leandrin okay yeah okay that um, was what was confusing me good <laughs> yeah alvieran anyway is a different character mm -hmm. that in, that in this genre dark yeah that is a dark friend so is leandrin in the books i'm not but we we've talked about this before that i don't know that she is here yes we'll and see. so I would like it if if she is not a dark friend and she is combined with Elida, I think that's okay. Mm -hmm. Because you still got that particular flavor of evil that is not actually thinking that it's evil, yeah. right? Yeah. Like it's it creates a lot of depth to the the kinds of 
bad people in the world. And yeah. that's what I was going to say, Brie. I think that that's such a good point. I can't remember if we've talked it specifically in these terms, but like just just spitballing based on our conversation here, I kind of like that uh, there are pluses and minuses to both, right? But I kind of like the idea that Leandrin as a character is doing what she's doing, not because she's a dark friend in any way, shape, or form. Because, yeah. you know, because she has ulterior motives. Yeah, because there are yeah. all of these different motivations. It's not like, oh, everything bad that happens is because there's some sort of dark influence specifically. Right. That right. there are machinations, motivations, all kinds of other things that are at play here that are in response to the dark, perhaps, in some in some right. way, but like not directly related to it. Right. And I think a way that they could pull it out, but I still think it's going to be really tough, is that she gets recruited to... The Black the, the, Asha. The, the Black Asha, the, you know, re- mm. recruited mm-hmm. to be a dark friend. You know, there is some theor- theorizing that the man in North Harbor is a dark friend. It could be Pot on Pain. Um, mm. But... Maybe but, he paddles other things. <laughs> Perhaps. I mean, but, like, one of the big things about everybody's problem with Aleda is that she's, like, it's kind of painfully obvious that she is doing harm to the battle against the Dark One. I see. And that isn't, well, like, there are explanations for it that we sort of get that, you know, and she sort of has a redemption, but, like, to have that be combined with somebody who does really fall to the dark and maybe still has a similar, like, redemption that Aleda eventually has. Did she? I mean, she got taken away by Sanjin. I feel like that's not redemption. <laughs> no, but, like, she found out that why... Anyway. Um, <laughs> with Alviera and, like, that whole, like, oh, you know, like, yeah, her commands fair. weren't ending up. Right. Anyway, she deserved to be taken by the Sanjin. Anyway. Sure did. So... Goodbye, um, Aleda. So, so we'll see, like, what they do, but, like because they're narrowing things down so much, like, I just don't know where they're combining characters. Mm-hmm. And I think that there are places that it could make sense. But, and again, because they're not leaning into Rand as the Dragon Reborn, we don't get a Leda with her foretelling, like, yeah. this man stands at the center. Um, you know, I guess we could have had, like, I think we could have had something a little bit like that. And but again, you, you have to introduce so much else to yeah, there's a whole to bunch the season characters. one, which I understand. Yeah. You know, they need to limit it, limit it, but it's going to be tough. It's going to be really tough to come out with. Yeah. I like BJ so. when you're a preemptive disappointed dark friend. You're <laughs> tries really hard. Yeah. Um, I go ahead. Yeah. Worries. Can I? Are we starting to wrap up here? I have a couple of questions. Yeah, we're wrapping. Okay. Basically. Yeah. Yep. So I just want to ask. Um, some qu- some questions about I have questions about the um, Amarlin seat. Yes. Just as a like concept person mm-hmm. thing in the world, how what is the actual process by which an Amarlin seat is chosen? So I'm sure that we will get this in the books um, or in, in the, the show, in the right? Show. Because yeah, yeah. it is it is a it's a actually very important thing. So it's basically someone. Um, that doesn't technically need to be a sister, so it does not actually have to be an Aes Sedai because they just assumed that that's what it would be. And so Ooh, they didn't that's actually have to be It is a problem. Um, but basically, she needs to be called to the hall, which is all those sisters, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And essentially, they have to rule, like, they can present there's a, evidence. There's a nomination process. Yeah, there's a nomination process. For who the Amaralyn seat's going to be, and then there's an election process for, for the sitters of the hall. Right. So, so all 
oh, you have to have enough sitters stand, mm-hmm. and yeah. they want to have it unanimous. Um, sure. But to stand in favor like of a ma- I think you need a majority, but then they're like, okay, we have a majority. Everybody stand in favor. So, like, yeah. we're everybody's behind her. Okay. Um, it involves washing feet. It, it's real weird. Okay. It's kind of bearing pope. to it, the light. It's, it's a little popey. Yeah, that was going to be the, the comparison. Like, this really does feel <laughs> yeah. like the white smoke, black smoke kind of machinations yeah. and all of that. So, okay, so that's how they're chosen. How does an um, Amarillo seat get, like, recalled? So I think they can step down. Okay. Yeah. They can get forcibly removed or deposed. Yeah. And they can die. Okay. And so how does the forcible removal slash deposing work? So there's a meeting of the hall. They vote on it. um, Kind of like how they get voted in. They get voted out kind of the same way. Mm -hmm. But they get birched. Yeah. Well, sometimes they get birched. Sometimes I think they get killed outright like they get sent to the headsman kind of thing okay um they oh i think they always basically get, get stilled, stilled. Yeah. you would think if you don't want them yeah. coming back in right power. exactly okay um and then they get sent to work on a farm for the rest or of their scrub life. pots in the the kitchens mm-hmm. or something like that okay um we do get some histories of that happening in the past um and but it's very uncommon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the other interesting thing about the Amarillan seat that I don't think is going to be in the show, but is sort of like, is probably going to be germane to the show, is that the last two or three Amarillan seats have been from the Blue Aja. Mm-hmm. And yes. so, like, the there whole. There hasn't been one from the Red in a long time. Yes. Okay. And I don't think that they're going to change that dynamic because it's super important to Rand being the Dragon Reborn. He's a male channeler. The Reds are very much opposed to this. Mm-hmm. And so, like, that internal wrangling of what they're going to do but still be Red is, I think, needs to play out on this. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And it sense. also will provide weight as to why Leandrin is sort of amassing power that. You know, the Reds are restive and, and they're ready for their chance to have somebody they see as a Red on the seat, even though they're not technically supposed to, you know, be of a certain color right. once they're on the but seat. But that, you know, that uh, dynamic comes out even in this episode, right? Um, yeah. Right. right. Yeah. So, so I did one thing, and, and again, like the show is just like hitting this over the head with like foreshadowing things. One thing that I thought was really quite fun with that is when Egwene is standing there in the in the hall and asking about the Merlin seat. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was that was neat, you know, because that is actually the ultimate place of power for Egwene. Oh, cool. Um, later okay. on, she does yeah. become the Merlin seat. Okay. However, what's really cool is that she starts as as um, the rebel Merlin. So they're, at some point they split. I don't know if you've gotten to this point in the books. No. So there are two, two white towers, basically, and one is oh. in exile, okay. and the other is oh, in the actual white tower. Cool, okay. Yeah. Egwene gets raised to the Merlin seat when she is not nice at eye, because they didn't put that mm. in their rules. Mm-hmm. Um, and two, she becomes a leader from a place, or from a room of wooden dirt, which is what Nynaeve oh, wow. is saying at the beginning when she walks in. She's like, well, how can you be a leader if you, you know, can't rule from... Anywhere, basically. That's cool. That's really and cool. And it was yeah, yeah. like, watch me in five seasons. Mm-hmm. I got you. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. And so my, I think my last 
question, although I, I have a lot of questions about the two different <laughs> towers, but I don't think those are super relevant today. No, but, not, not important. Um, my Might not even show up. I mean, we don't know. Yeah, but yeah. I am excited to sort of know that that is a thing when I get back into the books, because that's, that's kind of cool. But how, so how did the Amarillo seat come to be about in the first place? Uh, it's on... Tamerlan? Maybe. Um... So the uh, Amarillin seat was a thing back in the Age of Legends when there were male and female Aes Sedai. It was sort of like the head of the Aes Sedai. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know that there's a specific, like, this is the original, but like when it was codified, so, and back then they didn't use the oath rod. There were a whole bunch of other changes because it was just like channelers, basically. Mm -hmm. And they served the realm in in a much more in a different way. Probably more like Merlin. Okay. Um, and that's probably where Amelin Seat comes from, other than, uh, and <laughs> other than, you know, where Robert Jordan got it from. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it became a, you know, the head of the White Tower that was raised by the sisters uh, to, like, lead them and upper management CEO. Sure. Okay, so, like, as yeah. far as we know, there's been a version of it... Um, for 3,000 yeah, years right. and, and longer. Okay. Yeah, and there's probably a reason that it sounds like Merlin. Okay. I didn't know if there was, like, an inciting event for there to be, like, an actual leader or, you know what I mean? Like... I mean, I think it's an evolved version from the Age of Legends. Okay. I don't think there's, like, a particular... When they were, like, okay, we, we have to have this person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not, uh, the, not that um, I remember. And it was probably a little bit after the breaking that they really codified it, and this is really when they uh, use the Oath Rod. Okay. So. Cool. so I think I remember a minor amount of trivia about why they bear themselves to the light when they're doing the raising of the Merlin is or yeah. the Merlin seat because they have to be sure that everybody's a woman. Yeah. Oh, hey. So everybody gets naked to the waist. There you go. Because, you know, that's definitely going to rule out. Yeah. Any dudes. Yeah. Um, which has yeah, other it's things. It's very weird. Yeah. In the books. But yeah, I mean, Merlin seat's an interesting... Uh, Character and position. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. Cool. Anything else we want to talk about here? Uh, I think we're pretty good for this episode. I'd, yeah. There are always going to be so many things more. to talk about, but I think we yeah. hit a lot of the highlights. Yep. And I will say so, we've done a lot, of di- a lot of disappointed dark friends here, but I really enjoyed this episode as I have really all yeah, of the episodes, and, but like, I, I thought this was a great one. And I think like a lot of the complaints that we had were minor. I mean, some of the other complaints that we had and, falling a little bit into the internet dark friends is like when things are really close to the books and then diverge, it's a lot more frustrating than when we have scenes that, that are in keeping with the feel of the books, mm-hmm. but not actually in the books. Yeah. Um, and so, and I think BJ speaks for us all when, you know, he gets anxious about what changes they've made and what that means for the, the scope of the story. I think I'm a little bit more, you know, I have, faith in them there's been enough that they've shown that they're really keeping true to the soul and the the character feel mm-hmm. so i'm like I, I think they can pull this out of the hat but yeah i think we're worried yeah <laughs> two sides of the about same some of this the same chord go. Yes. lee and i are just yeah. like flouncing through this series like hey this is great <laughs> yeah um it is great tv i mean regardless yeah. it, is, it is really fun to watch yeah, yeah. so All right, well, looking forward to the next episode, y'all. Yeah, Yeah. looking forward to it. May you always find water and shade.